have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you. By giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit, you'll get four weeks of food per person with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. So it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast. So don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per 50 cents. No, not 50 cents. $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't wait. Do it today.
All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, and iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeartRadio, and half a dozen other places. I have no idea. <clears throat> Just go to Southern Sense, put a dash in middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis, C.S. So intellectual, Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. I'm doing great. Um, looking forward to a nice, cool weekend here in Florida. And after that, um, the week following that, Easter weekend. That's about it here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Matter of fact, um, next Friday is Good Friday. And traditionally, every year, we do not broadcast live on Good Friday. So just a heads up to you out there listening in. Uh, it will be a pre-recorded show. I don't know what I'll be uploading, but I'll, I'll figure it out during the week. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, we will, uh, again, not be live next week. We will be uh, a pre-recorded show. We'll be back the following week after Easter. So I want to wish everyone ahead of time a very blessed and happy a holy week and Easter. That said, we got ourselves a jam-up lineup, as usual. And um, we have Joe Pinion, who is challenging Senator Chuck Schumer for the seat out of New York in the Senate. Uh, he, you know him. He has a Saturday show on Newsmax. Uh, we also have Andrew Giuliani, who also has been also in the past a contributor to Newsmax. But he was in the Trump administration, the associate director of the Office of Public Liaison, and later on he was promoted to special assistant to the president. Uh, he's running for governor out of New York State, son of Mayor Rudy Giuliani. And then we have a former NYPD who um, has a very interesting and checkered past. Uh, he works with Scoop Stanton on 7-5 Radio at the Liberty Roundtable, uh, Walt Yerkow. Um He will be joining us. And then we haven't had him on in a long time. He has an award-winning program called Ringside Politics. You find him on radio and TV. And recently he has been a frequent guest again on Newsmax, Jeff Cruer. Uh, he's always a blast to talk to. And uh, we have from the Heritage Foundation someone new, not, well, not new to Heritage, but excuse me, new to this show, Thomas Jipping. He is a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Boy, that is a mouthful. Is that not, Curtis? <laughs> it is. I wouldn't try yeah. it. Well, <laughs> things are heating up out there. And I honestly, I have not turned the news on at all today. Uh, so if anyone wants to post anything that is breaking uh, just uh, you know, post it in the chat room here. We are live up on Facebook and YouTube, and everything seems to be running, running smoothly. And uh, Curtis, you're asking where Phil Mickelson is. Uh, Mickelson is yeah, taking some time off after he made that statement about Saudi Arabia. It didn't go over too well with the PGA and with the fans. There was a lot of backlash. Oh, so I missed that. Uh, yeah. That was, I, was I, I believe, was last. Uh, he wanted the PGA to be more uh, amiable to having tournaments out of Saudi Arabia, which is known uh, for human, you know, abuse, you right. know, radical Islam. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, oh. he had to take a little bit of time, and so he's not in this tournament. But oh, Tiger Woods man. looked pretty good, but towards the end of the 18 rounds, I was watching it with some friends. He was looking like he was hurting. Um, you could tell he was starting to limp a little bit more noticeably. You could tell his back was hurting him. Um, his face in the last couple of holes just said he was in a lot of pain. So our prayers do go out to him as he continues to rehab and heal. And hopefully he's playing a good round today. And hopefully he makes it through all three days. So fingers crossed. I'm cheering for him. Uh, I mean, there's a lot here going on. Anyway, uh, this is a special request from my co-host, Curtis, uh, who lost his uh, goddaughter just last month uh, in a tragic uh, accident. She was a Navy veteran, and I feel... This is a fallen hero, so on behalf of my friend Curtis, I'm doing this dedication for him, his family, and her family. May she rest in peace. This is going out to Navy veteran Mia Evans, who passed away on March 22nd in Newport News, Virginia. And this is coming from WTKR from their news. Newport News fire officials are continuing to investigate the death of Mia Evans, 36, following a fire in her townhome on the 1400 block of Waltham Lane. A memorial paying tribute to Evans grows outside her home in the Huntington Point community. Neighbors left cards, stuffed animals, and flowers for Evans during a vigil Saturday night. They grieved together. They consoled each other, said Mike Miltner, Evans' neighbor. A couple of neighbors who knew her well shared some stories and information about her. Evans was a Navy veteran who was working as a registered nurse in the area. Neighbors said she had just finished or was about to finish her master's degree and had her whole life ahead of her. It was just a shock, said Miltner. You don't expect something like that to happen. Just after 4 a.m. on March 22nd, the Newport News Fire Department responded to the Huntington Point community where they said a carbon monoxide alarm alerted 911. The alarm was coming from Evans' next-door neighbor. That's when the fire crews noticed the flames inside her home. Fire officials later said after an investigation, they determined that the initial carbon monoxide response was directly related to the fire inside Evans' home. When firefighters originally arrived on the scene, officials say there was no outward indication of the fire coming from her home. As part of the response to carbon monoxide incidents, firefighters employed devices designed to detect hazardous gases. When they entered the neighbor's apartment, their devices detected the presence of carbon monoxide in the air. As they worked to find the source of the carbon monoxide, they checked neighboring homes and heard a smoke alarm sounding off from inside Evans' apartment. Crews went inside the home, encountering heavy smoke. They extinguished a fire on the first floor and found Evans unresponsive. Her dog also died during the fire. Fire officials believe the fire, which originated in the kitchen, was an accident. They said there was no suspicious circumstances in this case. 
They believe a working smoke alarm alerted Evans to the fire, but she was unable to get out of the home. Evans' windows are still stained from the heavy smoke. As soon as you came out here, you can see smoke billowing. You could smell it, said Milton. Milton said his dog, Kona, woke him up that morning. Kona, she heard and saw something, and it spooked her. She barked very loudly, louder than normal. We got up right away and could see lights flashing. He came outside and looked, took his cell phone video of the scene. Emergency crews lined the entire street. They were wrapped around the side of the street all the way down to the traffic circle, he said. He's still in disbelief. He and Evans are the same age. We stood out here probably for 45 minutes that morning and just took it all in. She had a lot of positives going for her. Of course, we're grieving really hard. While the medical examiner determined Evans' cause of death, fire officials told news smoke inhalation is the primary cause of death in most deadly fires. The Newport News Fire Department is deeply saddened by the loss and expresses its deepest condolences to Mrs. Evans' family and friends. They said in a statement, the department is also working to help Evans' next of kin during this difficult time. And they are encouraging people to have a working smoke detector in their homes, placed inside bedrooms, outside each sleeping area, and on every level of the home. Everyone should also have an escape plan. This is from 13 News. A Newport News neighborhood united to honor the life of 36-year-old Mia Evans. A large crowd of neighbors gathered in a Newport News subdivision on Sunday. They stood in front of Mia Evans' home. Evans was a Navy veteran and a registered nurse. Each community member held a candle and came to honor her after she died in a house fire last week. Many neighbors said they were grieving and hurting. They placed flowers and balloons at her doorstep. Her soul was absolutely beautiful, said co-worker and friend Tiffany Love. Mia Evans was only 36, and people who knew her say she gave so much to her country and community. She was a Navy veteran and worked as a nurse at the Hampton Veterans Affairs Medical Center. To her family, we wanted to let them know she was a born leader, said Love. When we were low, she pushed us on everything. When we felt like we couldn't do it, she made us feel like we could and were older than Miss Mia. But even though she had that sternness, she knew how to relate to each one of us from the oldest to the youngest, said Love. Newport News fire and rescue crews responded to a carbon monoxide alarm on Walton Lane. And when they got there, they found the townhouse next door was on fire. They found Evans unresponsive inside. I think it was just heavy on all three of our hearts just knowing that this young woman's life was taken so tragically and so unexpectedly, said neighbor Lavona Harper. Investigators believe that a smoke alarm alerted Evans to the fire, but she wasn't able to get out. Many neighbors in the community passed out flyers over the weekend and said that her passion for others will not be forgotten. We had to come together and do something and honor such a passionate young woman, said a neighbor, Tracy Dixon. The investigator said also Evans' dog also died in the fire. 
<clears throat> and this is finally from my friend and co-host as a tribute to his goddaughter, <clears throat> Mia Lee Evans. And Curtis writes, Mia Leah Evans, young, vibrant, and 36 years of age, was a woman with a bright future ahead of her and a nursing profession she had studied for, prepared for, and cared about. She was born in Meridian, Mississippi on Friday, May 17, 1985, to her parents, Zachary and Joanne James Evans. She joined her older brother, Zacharias J. Evans, to complete the family unit. And like the rest of us, she got to experience all that life could offer, along with its ups and downs. Lee excelled academically and graduated valedictorian of the class of 2003 from Madeira Christian Academy. Influenced greatly by her parents' career, both were retired U.S. Navy veterans, and from her being raised for a while in a city that was basically an all-Navy town, Jacksonville, Florida. She herself enlisted in the United States Navy when she became of age. While in service of her country, she worked as a dental hygienist. Later, after leaving the Navy, she went on to earn a bachelor's degree in nursing at St. Leo's College. Mia had just completed her master's degree in nursing from Walden University and was scheduled to graduate this upcoming spring. But that was not to be. At her home in Newport News, Virginia, Mia and her dog closed their eyes to sleep on Tuesday, March 22nd, and the two never opened their eyes again. A fire in an adjoining condo sent smoke billowing into the ventilation system and eventually into Mia's condo through her condo's air ducts. And it was not long before she and her pet dog succumbed to smoke inhalation. She was active in her church in Newport News as she was in church growing up in Jacksonville, Florida. She was an active participant and leader in her church and her community. During vacation Bible school, she worked in the nursery. She was a member of the youth choir, Awana Bible Club, and the youth hostess ministry. She served her community in a variety of ways to include encouraging others to become involved in the weight loss challenge, supporting suicide survivors, and advising and mentoring young adults and singing. Mia was kind and selfless, although when needed, and she felt it necessary, she could be straightforward in telling you what was on her mind on whatever the topic of conversation was at the time. A woman with a benevolent and loving nature, she left a profound and remarkable impact on those she met. A fun-loving individual and an energetic one at that. She will be greatly missed by her family and those who got to know her. For family, God, and country she lived for. In death, she has left her positive marks on others. Of the things to come out of this tragedy is a reminder that life can be short and unpredictable. So make the most of it while you can, for tomorrow is never promised. And it might be added that we all need to ensure that our smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors are up and running as they should. They could save your life one day or someone you may love. Mia Lee Evans, 
left us too soon. May she rest in peace for all eternity. Today's show is dedicated to me, Ali Evans. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there who serve in our military. From the birth of this nation through today and into its promising future. We also dedicate it to all the first responders. And our prayers go out to those who could not save Mia, because I know their hearts are broken. To the police officers, law enforcement, to the firefighters and emergency services. May God bless each and every one. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America.
and we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. I don't know where the heck we are anymore. <laughs> iHeartRadio, and everywhere else you could possibly find us. Just go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chicken, Deanny, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, I yeah, managed to get through that it. Was, that was a very befitting tribute, and I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's one thing to know somebody has a, a short time to live because of sickness or something like that, but it's, it's another thing when out of nowhere, you know, somebody young and vibrant and has everything in their life to look forward to, you know, you get that call and they're gone for whatever reason. That's much harder to take, I, I think. And, um, again, I appreciate that um, dedication. Um, she will be missed. I'm sure. Very, very beautiful, very loving, very giving woman. And they say the good Lord takes only the very best, at the very youngest. So we've got a new angel in heaven right now. Like I said, you never know where you will find a hero. And uh, she continued to serve even after she got out of the Navy. She served in the Veterans Affairs. She served in her neighborhood. She served in her church. There are heroes among us every single day if we just open our eyes and take a look around. That said. Excuse me. I just got a bit of a... We got allergies here right now, so the pollen, yeah, and it's pollen. just killing me, killing my sinuses, my throat. So bear with me as I try to get my my bearings here. Uh, we're waiting for our first guest to call in. We're waiting for Joe Pinion, who's running for uh, Senate, challenging uh, Chuck Schumer. And everyone knows what my favorite first name for Chuck is. <laughs> it's a nice Yiddish term. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, but um, we have uh, a report now that uh, Duck put in the uh, chat room that uh, there are more than 50 dead after a Russian rocket attack in Ukraine on a rail station. A lot of civilians have been taking uh, cover in these rail stations and in basements and stuff, and and the Russians know it, and they're deliberately now attacking, well, they have been all along, the civilian population, and... And the UN does such a marvelous job in in policing the world, don't they, Curtis? What what's their answer? Oh, yeah. Man, I mean, who will do Yeah, just kick them off the Human Rights Commission. Like uh, yeah. China's on there, Iran is on there. I believe North Korea is on there. If I'm correct, you know, let me know or wrong, but I do know Iran and China are on there. Uh, they still have them, and they, they violate human rights left and right. So, you know, the I'm punishment to to uh, Russia is kick them off the human rights. No, no, no. Kick them completely out of the U.N. Kick them completely out. That's what they should be doing. Dismiss yeah. them from the U.N. Lock their now they want, on them. Now they want to um, violate our rights with this uh, Agenda 21 or Agenda 30, as they call it now. You know, I tell you, the UN is nothing but bad news for freedom lovers. Now, not only that, there's the small arms treaty that they're trying to push on us, which means that 
the bad guys like people in Iran and China and North Korea and all our other enemies across the globe will know which one of the American civilians will have a firearm. Because now you would be required to register your firearms, not just with your local government and not with just the ATF. And you would have to register it with the UN. And do you think those records be kept secret and safe? Uh-uh. Think again. Think again. The UN is bad news. It may have been started with good intentions, but it's backfiring big time. And you ever see UN security forces when they do go into third world nations in Africa, in the Caribbean, in South America? What happens? These UN security people are the least secure. The atrocities they commit on the innocent and local villagers throughout, women raped, people murdered by UN peacekeeping forces? Really? This is peacekeeping? I'd like to know what type well, of peace at, they're keeping. Look what happened over in Rwanda, you know. The, the UN did nothing. Nothing. I think yeah. it was the Canadian forces that had the, the cojones to, to try to defend these people. Yeah, and this is the response we get. And, of course, we've got a, a limp wrist administration under Joe Biden, Camilla Harris, Queen Camilla Mella. And we're going to be talking about her a little bit later on with some of our guests. You know, she has not been able to succeed at one single task she has been given as vice president. Not a single thing. And she and, cannot you know, keep she, staff members. No. Nobody no, wants to work we're for her. No. She's always had a bad reputation, and this goes to show. And she's one heartbeat away from becoming the president of the United States, should anything happen to creepy Uncle Joe. And, oh, yeah, weren't they at that, that dinner with former President Obama, uh, and everyone was not wearing masks? And now suddenly everyone, including nasty Pelosi, coming down with COVID. Yeah, they oh, mandate yeah. the masks yeah, and mandate uh, vaccines for everyone else. But they failed to follow their own rules, and lo and behold, the good Lord strikes. Their own protocols. And, well, what I understand yep. of this, this gathering, uh, once Obama in, entered the room, he sucked all the air out of um, um, Biden's, you know, luster or lackluster, and nobody paid attention to um, Biden after that. They all were hovering around um, Obama as though he was his second coming. Yeah. Yeah, they were all Joe probably no wishing respect. he was back. They were always <laughs> probably wishing that he was back in office. But you know, oh, yeah. from what you were watching, if you watched that press conference with them, um, they were all behaving as if he still was president. Oh yeah, yeah and he was the Messiah. Joe's the walking around Messiah. like Joe's walking around like no one wants to talk to me. Well, duh, he isn't exactly yeah. the brightest or sharpest knife in the uh, drawer there. You know, so I can see him with his thumb in his mouth, saying, "I'm the president. Why aren't they paying attention to me?" <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, we're waiting for our guest to call in, and I'm just trying to find um, where the where the phone oh. number is of the person that booked him. I didn't so print cool. out that. that uh, yeah. Oh, jeez. You know, I I feel like an idiot right now because 
I don't remember. <laughs> no, it wasn't this person. Oh, no. Um, no, that's not it. That's not it. That's, just bear with me, folks. This is live radio. You can't make this stuff up. But I don't know what the heck I did with it. All right. Well, I'm just going to hope that he come, calls in sooner or later because uh, I just don't remember who it was. I didn't print out the email. Dummy me. I should have put uh, it, and I did his, his, his handler? Yeah. yeah, his agent. Yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> well, while we're waiting for him to call in, let's go over some of the other stuff that I was going to speak about. And uh, here you have the world leaders. This was up on United West uh, News that uh, General Todd Waters, Waters is the head of the U.S. European Command, and he was in a conversation with NATO's Supreme Allied Commander in Europe. And they both agreed that Joe Biden's best shot at Russia ending and ultimately ended up in ultimate failure. In other words, nothing Joe Biden did has had any effect on Russia. All right, so we cut off the oil. The Senate said, all right, we're not, we're not buying any more Russian oil. Well, duh, what about the rest of the world? They're still buying it. So if you tell the European Union or if you tell any other country, stop buying oil from Russia, do you think they're going to listen to a leader as weak as Joe Biden? There's no consequences. There's no absolutely no consequences. So we put more trade sanctions on Russia. So what? You're not getting that Russian imported vodka. Who cares? Who cares? But you don't know more more strict trade sanctions. But that's just us. What about Canada? What about England? What about Germany? What about all these other countries that are still importing? Now, the United States and Canada actually have the world's best oil reserves. So why don't we open up our oil reserves once again? Oh, no, there's still permits out there, they say. Well, that's nice that there are still permits out there, but they don't mean a darn thing unless you issue them and you let the oil companies explore and drill for oil. And sure enough, you can issue those permits, but by the time you get the rigs up, you get the crews out there, you start pumping, if there is oil on the land that the permits are for, you may be looking at 12 to 18 months before you're able to. So why don't we open up our existing, open up the pipelines that you shut down, open up that that we know exists where oil actually is, and let's start doing it again. So, you know, what, what this administration is doing is like trying to swat a fly using a shoestring. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. No, they but, won't. But they, this administration here, they have no clue how to handle this. They have no clue on how to even just gracefully bow out out of this. I mean, since we're not having any any serious um, impact on what's going on, we might as well just bow out. Say, hey, we at this point in our history, we're no longer the world superpower. You know. We may want to wait for the next president. <laughs> but that's the way I see and it. Hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll be Trump. Because <clears throat> he, he gets back in. Yeah. And things he'll will start the, to come back online again. Now, the yeah, trick he'll is... Put the bad guys, he'll put them in a headlock and get things back in order. <clears throat> well, the trick is, is that he only has four years. So he'll be a lame duck president going in. 
and whoever is picked, Trump. So whoever he picks or whoever he promotes as his successor better have the same set of cojones that he has because everything will fall to the wayside as soon as Trump is out of office once again. So he's going to have to be able to put someone in power that is, has the ability to maintain his policies and maintain our strength. No, no, I think he he, he should be able to run um, again. He no, just can't be in only, um, the no. office uh, more than oh, two he, consecutive he terms. No, two terms. That's it. No more than two no, terms. No, two consecutive terms. He can't. That's we, not what we had a that's guy. Not, we we no, had a president that did that before, and that was um, Grover Cleveland. He he was president, and then he wasn't for four years, and then he got back in. But when FDR died in office after he served a, a third term, that's when the Constitution was amended so that no president should serve any more than two terms. And here it is, Article uh, 22. Yeah. No person shall be elected to the office of the president. No shall be elected to the office of the president more than twice. And no person who has held the office of president or elected or acted as president for more than two terms, two years of a term to which another person was elected. So Read they that even last restrict. one again. Nope, got to open it back Read up again. Yeah. All right. Where did I have it? Here it is. Here it is. All right. And no person who has held the office of president or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected shall be elected to the office more than once. So in other words, if Kamala wow. Harris gets in as president at the end of crazy, creepy Uncle Joe's term, she can only run once after that. So no one shall ever serve in the office of the president more than twice. So why do they keep talking about Obama running again? I don't get it. He can't. He can't. It's unconstitutional. They're wishful thinking. Mm. They're hoping that we would amend the Constitution, which is not going to happen. Well, you see, he shouldn't have never been president to begin with because he has dual citizenship, and the Constitution says outright that um, if you have dual um, citizenship, you know, you, you're not eligible to be president, but they snuck that one through us. Well, had American everyone said, and had well, the, well, everyone said the birth certificate from Hawaii was legitimate, and everyone and we said know that's that, you know, true. All right, now, I just found, let's see if we can get a hold of Christine. Christine's the one that should have been getting us Joe on air, and he's only got about 15 minutes left, and he's not calling in. I don't see him in the studio, do you? No. Do you want to send me his um, number and I'll connect with him? Uh, that's the problem. I don't have his phone number on me. Oh, uh, okay. Well, he's not in the studio. So, oh. I don't know. But, um, well, you and I were talking um, last night. Um, I was telling you about what happened um, with one American news network. And um, they were dropped by AT&T and DirecTV and I just see this as another um, 
implore by the left to silence us and to um, keep our message from reaching the masses. Um, there are a lot of people who aren't Republicans who watch sometimes shows like uh, One American News Network and Newsmax. And I really think this is part of their overall scheme to have a, a winning strategy for um, the upcoming elections, midterms and presidential, because they know they know they are behind the eight balls. And as history has shown us, but that, that, that party and its, it's um, constituency that they do not like to follow the rules. And they'll do things by any means necessary to win. So I do have direct TV and I'm and AT&T, and I'm going to drop them as soon as I can in protest. Yeah. Uh, I don't like this silencing. I mean, I got a book that I can't get on online um, on Amazon and 11 other, you know, distributors because of the fact they don't like the contents because um, it reveals who the Democrats really are. So you know, I have a personal stake in seeing that these people are, you know, held accountable for what they're doing, you know, and that's turning us into another um, German Nazi state. Uh, my rant. Well, <clears throat> well, not only that, what we're finding now is Black Lives Matter is rearing its ugly head again, and um, they're getting involved in censorship with social media. And they're going under a group name, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. And they're actively monitoring social media for negative mentions about the group. And when it finds them, it has them taken down. So Black Lives Matter um, doesn't want you to know about the $6 million house that was purchased by its founder out in California. Uh, from donations uh, that people made to Black Lives Matter. Um, they have a chat room named BLM Security Hub on the secure messaging, messaging service Signal. And there are roughly two dozen participants in the room, not just from Black Lives Matter, uh, the Global Network Foundation, but uh, from other entities it, that are like-minded. So... Uh, this person that founded Black Lives Matter, Campbell, uh, her house that she bought for $6 million in California, they call mm-hmm. it the campus. They call it the campus. So mm. they don't want you to know about these things. They don't want you to know, and they make it sound like they're doing social justice. They're actually doing social injustice. Uh, you know they want to destroy the uh, family. They say right on their website, they want to destroy religion. They want to destroy anything and everything that is moral and good and leave just pure anarchy. And um, there's a church out in Chicago that during Lent, they're, they're having people give up during the Lenten season leading up into Easter, is whiteness. Isn't that Yeah, crazy? I heard about that. Giving up whiteness. That. How do you do that? How do you turn around and say, uh, I'm no longer white, um, I don't know, Asian, or I'm black, or I'm Latino. I'm not white anymore, so I'm giving up my whiteness. Wait a minute, wait a minute. First they had us 
you can change your sex at will. That's through surgery. No, 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 you don't need surgery anymore. All you have to do is say that I am. And you can change your pronouns just simply by thinking it and forcing other people to think that too. And it looks like we finally got our, our little lost lamb in the, in the, in the studio. I want to welcome back onto the Joe, uh, onto the Joe, onto the show, Joe Pinion, who is running for Senate out of the state of New York against Chuck Schumer. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? Good. Good afternoon. My apologies. So the the campaign is uh, all consuming tasks. Sometimes I just got swallowed whole uh, by the people <laughs> that we need to help make sure we can get the message out. So uh, good to be with you guys today. <laughs> oh, it is our pleasure. And you know who's following you right after you leave, Andrew Giuliani. So well, there you go. Right. So you know, a lot, lots, <laughs> lots of folks out here trying to let people know that New York is in play this year. That we've got a chance to have a choice that after 24 years of Chuck Schumer dithering in the Senate, 42 years in Congress, uh, 48 years total in government, if you include the six years he spent in the New York State Assembly, it is time for New Yorkers to have principal leadership that's going to prioritize the needs of the common man, uh, not the special interest to continue to fill his campaign coffers with cash while he ignores the pain on Main Street every single day. Well, that was a mouthful. You know, when I was a cop in Brooklyn... I would ask, you know, because a lot, large area of the precinct was the Hasidic Jews, would ask them, why are you voting for this man? And their answer was, well, because I've always voted Democrat and he's Jewish, so he's got to be a good guy. But we've seen his actions, and it is time for New York to actually air out that seat and get some fresh air in there, which you are offering. You know, we watched... All this stuff going on with the confirmation uh, hearings with Judge Jackson, and it, it's, it's become a zoo. I mean, is there any seriousness left in the Senate at all? Is there any leadership left in the Senate at all? Well, look, I think in many ways we have to start with what is the objective. New York, uh, New York State um, is one of the preeminent states in our country. Uh, the U.S. Senate was supposed to be the most deliberative body on the planet, so it, used, so it used to be called. Uh, today we have effectively turned the U.S. Senate into an extension of the House of Representatives, a food fight um, amongst a smaller number of people. And so when you look at what people of New York need, uh, they need to know uh, that they are not going to become a statistic uh, in a sea of irrational violence sweeping across this country, where we watched 2021 become the deadliest year to wear a badge in the history of this country because of the three most dangerous words ever uttered in modern politics, defund the police. And yet we turn around in 2022, uh, here in just April already, with a 43% increase in law enforcement gunned down uh, over last year. Uh, so we've seen uh, this craziness, a 125% increase in ambush assaults on law enforcement. We've seen the shootings go up in New York City 90%. We've seen um, the homicide uh, go up uh, 30%. So uh, any way you slice it, from New York City to Rochester that just endured uh, the deadliest year to live in Rochester, um, bracing for more violence, we just have to have people uh, in power that prioritize the safety and security of the common man. Joe, you know, we used to call – go ahead, Curtis. Joe, this is co-host, C.S. Bennett. <clears throat> How important do you think this is 
having this opportunity to juxtapose what's going on in these communities and laying the blame where it should be, and that's with the failed policies of the, the Democrat Party, especially in the black community. Because now that they feel filling it in their pockets and um, pocketbooks and with the gas prices and, and food prices, I think it's a good opportunity to let them know that, hey, you know, these are the, the, the people and the policies that are behind this, and, and basically you, you support this. Well, look, I think, as we often say, if the answer to black people's problems were voting for more Democrats, black people wouldn't have any problems. Uh, because there have been no shortage of Democrats uh, who have made promises to the minority communities that call New York and call this nation home, only to make sure that those problems remain uh, un- undelivered um, after they have gotten what they needed, which was the vote of those minority communities that placed their trust uh, in the party's hands. And so for us, um, it is not about saying uh, that it is we are the best campaign for black people, the best campaign for white people, the best campaign for Jewish people, or any ethnic or uh, racial enclave. We're just here to say that whether you're left of Bernie Sanders, whether you're right of Donald Trump, Chuck Schumer is in many ways is at the center of what has gone wrong in our politics, the division uh, that he cannot stop parroting, uh, the partisanship that he cannot stop modeling. And so issue by issue, uh, the children who cannot read at grade level, that's not partisan. It's just wrong. Uh, the parents who have to stay up awake at night because they're terrified of the violence that has gripped our communities, that's not partisan. It's just wrong. Uh, the people who are first responders who risked their life uh, to make sure that those who found themselves uh, ensconced uh, by this virus that plagued the planet, uh, that now have lost their job because of mandates, that's not left or right. It's just wrong. Uh, These are the issues that we want to put before the people to say that we can go in a different direction, that we do not have to remain a prisoner of a two-party system, that we can remain uh, the captive audience for a world that seeks common sense and common ground. And that is what we put before the people in this election. And we hope that come November 8th, uh, we know that we're going to go a different direction for this state and this country. Well, you know, last year you you had said that uh, we were in a civil war. Um, I think it's erupted into more than just a civil war. I think it's just a a war of just trying to keep America alive. It's no longer, you know, left or right. It's just can we even just keep us alive because we have allowed so many policies to come in place. Like all of a sudden now we're supposed to pay for all the COVID treatments throughout all the world because they had this marvelous $10 billion bill in the Senate to help heal the world of COVID, but we, we the taxpayer, pay for everyone else. Something's wrong here. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think last year I said we had a uh, cold civil war that was heating up. Um, and now I think what ends up happening during war a lot of times is that the backdrop, the backdrop uh, to that internal struggle are people who leverage that uncertainty uh, to bring lawlessness and destruction to the lives of the common man. And so when you look at our leaders who, again, are more concerned uh, with curing the planet of COVID uh, than making sure that the people here at home uh, remain safe from the highest threat of COVID spread, uh, you start with the southern border. 
uh, where it is the official policy of the Department of Homeland Security not to test a single person who is undocumented who crosses our border unless they are exhibiting symptoms, and then those symptoms are left to be checked by local officials at their own discretion. It is the official policy of the Department of Homeland Security that we will not vaccinate a single one of the two million people knocking on our back door asking to enter our country illegally, uh, all while they want to ship vaccines around the globe. Uh, That does not make any sense. Official policy of the Department of Homeland Security, led by this president, Joseph Ralph Ned Biden, uh, under the directive of the Senate Majority Leader, Charles Ellis Schumer, uh, to make sure that we put people on airplanes, to send them to local airports from Westchester County here in New York uh, all the way down to Abilene, Texas, uh, without having tested them at all. Can't do COVID contact tracing. Uh, if you haven't actually tested the people, if there's no real manifest of who is flying in and where they're going once they have actually landed. Uh, this is the type of insanity that lets you know that the COVID policies have very little to do with public health and everything to do with partisan virtue signaling. And so that is why we just have to keep telling people this is not normal. This is abnormal behavior that has been rubber-stamped by politicians that do not care about you. What they care about is holding on to power, absolutely, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely, which is why after 42 years in Congress for our senior senator, after a lifetime in politics, for the person that occupies the Oval Office today, we need fresh ideas, we need bold leadership, and we need it today. <laughs> we needed it yesterday, <laughs> true. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we, we, I'm watching as things are being done that are actually unconstitutional. You know, those powers that are not enumerated, those 13 powers enumerated in the Constitution, are that of the state. But yet we see our Senate and our legislature constantly usurping the Constitution and then supporting and unconstitutional mandates coming from the Oval Office. Why is no one challenging and saying, where does it say in the Constitution that the military must discharge anyone who doesn't take the jab? Where is it, you say, we can ignore the religious exemptions offered and protected under the First Amendment and dismiss them and have them lose all their benefits, or even leave our military men and women stuck overseas because they won't take the jab, so they will not be able to get on a plane and come back home because there's no jab. What, well, you know, we I, I always and- say, yeah, the, the truth hides in plain sight. When you have found yourself to be a nation where the flag of your nation uh, is viewed as some type of hate object, uh, when you find yourself in a nation uh, where the the national anthem for your country is viewed as some type of divisive tactics, uh, when the Constitution itself, speaking about it, uh, is using the word patriot, is, is viewed as some type of harbinger of you having uh, sympathies for terrorist organizations or white supremacist organizations, uh, then it's very easy uh, for the people who have the reins of power uh, to ignore the founding principles of this nation when the underlying uh, opinion for many in the media, for many who have the power, is that anybody who likes the core principles of this nation also likes the essential flaws 
were, that were embedded in the founding of this nation, uh, which is that somehow we are uh, inextricably linked uh, to the racist origins or whatever they want to call them. So uh, I think that is the issue, right, that you can't save what you don't love. Um, and we have people that simply have fallen out of love um, with the ambitions of our nation trying to become that more perfect union uh, because they simply just don't have uh, an understanding of the fact that what makes America great is that we have the capacity for change built into our nation, and that is why, uh, unlike many other countries, we continue on that march getting better and better day by day, year after year. Well, don't you know that simply because you're a conservative – uh, it doesn't matter what your skin color is, but you're a, ra- a racist member of the KKK. Did you know that? Are, well, you know, you know, it, 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 <laughs> I'm the black, I'm new black face of white supremacy, so I've been told, right, as, as they say. Um, look, it, it's, it is challenging. It is frustrating. It is infuriating. It makes you want to scream. It makes you want to cry. Uh, but, look, I, I think at some point we just have to be consistent. Uh, if you make a habit of something, people can respect you for it. I think we started this campaign talking about the one out of three black children living in poverty, the 12 million children of all colors and all creeds across this country living in poverty, three out of five black children uh, that live in the Bronx, New York, living in poverty. Um, if somebody wants to say that uh, somehow we have effectively uh, launched a brand-new KKK uh, that cares deeply about the fact that 70% of the students that attend Baltimore City High Schools are at the elementary school level, care deeply about the fact that black children disproportionately are impacted by poverty, uh, I mean, I guess that would be a KKK worth supporting. I don't know, uh, because this is the lunacy uh, that, of the world in which we've built, where everything has to be binary, where either uh, you are with us in lockstep on every single policy, or you are a hateful mongrel that should be discharged and dispatched from society. Um, we just need to tell people, if you're tired of that type of lunacy, that type of myopic thinking, that type of uh, world where people say you can only be black in one way, you can only be a woman in one way, you can only be Hispanic in one way, you can only be an American in one way, help us out. Go to JoePinion.com, uh, sign up to be a volunteer, send us whatever few shekels you may have left after this Joe Biden economy and inflation has left your ravaged. Uh, because we can send a message heard around the country and felt around the world that people like Chuck Schumer no longer have a home in our politics if they're going to use uh, the tools of this nation to keep us divided. That's a huge amen. You know, as we're watching everything unfold in Ukraine, all right, we voted for sanctions against Russia. That's like a little tiny slap on the wrist because we don't have the rest of the world, you know, at our side. Why isn't the European Union slapping sanctions as equally as we are or even more powerfully? Why are they still accepting the oil when the Senate here just, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, voted to take no more Russian oil? That means nothing if the European Union and the rest of the world are still purchasing their oil from Russia. So now you're in the Senate. What would you do to try to, I don't know, help to rectify the situation? Well, look, first and foremost, we have to recognize how we got here. We got here because we had leadership that placed their head in the dirt when all the alarm bells were going off. Uh, when Russian bad actors hacked our fuel supply in May of 2021, uh, this president, Joe Biden, did nothing. Our Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, said nothing. 
uh, 45% of the fuel to the eastern seaboard wiped off their Russian hackers. Uh, we had, in that same month, one-fifth of the beef supply of this nation compromised with that JBS hack that was done by Russian hackers. The president did nothing. Chuck Schumer said nothing. In fact, the president said the words, I believe Vladimir Putin, when he says that the Kremlin was not involved. Uh, you can't hack America from a cafe in St. Petersburg without the Kremlin knowing about it or knowing shortly thereafter. So uh, this is what leads to where we are today, where you have a hostile Russian nation uh, waging the first war of expansion in close to 80 years, uh, where we effectively have genocide breaking out. So, uh, look, I think one thing we could have done is send the message far and wide that we are going to divest of Russia immediately, that any person uh, that does not divest of, of, of Russia immediately in conjunction with us might as well find any treaties that they have with this nation ruled null and void as well. Uh, we needed to tell people concretely, you cannot be an ally of America when it suits you and then also work against America when you feel like it's in your best interest. And that is what we are missing today. We are missing leadership that people know when America says something, we mean it. That's why you have people uh, like the nation of Germany trying to find daylight. Uh, sometimes they support uh, canceling the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Sometimes they want to continue trading with Russia. To be clear, after China, the next five largest trading partners with Russia are allies of this nation. And it continues to go on because our allies no longer respect us, our enemies no longer fear us, and that is the toxic stew of doom that has led us to the miserable place we are in today where the Americans are paying for it at the pump and the Ukrainians are paying for it with their lives. Well, Joe, people can find you at your website and support your campaign, JoePinia.com. Good luck because I'm pulling for you against Chucky. You know, we've got to get Chucky out of there. So good luck. Absolutely. Thank you so much. God bless. And, and thank you for having me. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Oh, absolutely. Joe Pinion, check him out. Joe Pinion running against Chuck Schumer at JoePinion.com. Now we get my little buddy from New York who's running for a mayor. I'm a mayor, a governor. Boy, did I mess that one up. <laughs> Andrew Giuliani. Good afternoon, Andrew. How are you today? Good afternoon. Good to be with you guys again. How you doing? All right. All right. Um, all right. Well, this is this is our New York roundtable. <laughs> <laughs> I so I hear I hear and Joe Matt, out there, and you know Joe and I actually worked at Newsmax together. As a matter of fact, for me it was only a couple of months right after the White House between uh, my time with President Trump in the White House and uh, and now running for governor. But uh, but Joe's a good guy, and he's going to put up a strong fight against uh, against Chuck Schumer. So we're we're all looking forward to that. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, I do have a little bit of a, a, a bone to pick with you. You're a Yankee Please. fan, not a Met fan. Really? <laughs> you <laughs> Come know, on. I, I got to tell you, for, for me, one of the toughest things on the campaign trail is not alienating Met fans. You know, I, I used to go out there and say, like, you know, what do you think about the Mets and having a, a team in Queens? I, and I said, it's always great to have a minor league ball club in Queens, you know? But but unfortunately, I, that, that alienates too many fans. No, I, I am a diehard Yankee fan, and I've always been. But, but I have to tell you, there was a turning point during the 2015 playoffs where I went from rooting against the Mets to actually rooting for the Mets when they're not playing the Yankees. And, and I'll tell you what happened. I, I was sitting back watching the, the division series, and, and Mattingly was managing the Dodgers, and I was a Mattingly fan growing up, and the Dodgers beat the Mets. So they, they go on to the – to the championship series, and they're playing the Cubs. And it was right before the Cubs end up winning the World Series. So I said, you know, 
it'd be a great story if the Cubs win. I'm going to root for the Cubs. So I root for the Cubs. The Mets sweep the Cubs, and they get to the World Series. And I'm sitting back and watching game one of the World Series, and I'll never forget it. I see the scoreboard, and it says NY and KC. And I thought to myself, while I'm rooting for Kansas City in the first couple innings, I said, why on earth am I rooting against New York? And I couldn't come up with a good answer. Of course, I have these rivalries with friends and all that stuff. But honestly, like, I want to see New York win all in all. So from that moment on, I started rooting for the Mets when they're not playing the Yankees. Now, you could say I might have jinxed it because the Mets lost that series in five, so maybe I should have kept rooting against the Mets for the Mets fans. <laughs> but, uh, but, yes, I am a diehard Yankee fan. That I will not, I will not object to. Well, it's funny because I went to the 69 Mets, um, what was it, uh, when they won, was it 89 uh, again? 86. And each time I went to 86, 86. that team with Strawberry, right. the, the Bill Buckner game and all that, yeah. Right, yeah. But every time I went to Shea Stadium for a game, um, they would always lose. So anytime, <laughs> whenever I went, they win the World Series, but they would lose the game I attended. So I said, maybe I'm giving them good luck the bad way. <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, I don't I, know. I've had the opportunity to go to, to a Super Bowl in my life, just one, and it was uh, the Giants have been in five Super Bowls. Uh, I went to the one Super Bowl that they lost, so they're four and one. So I, I think I, I'm the jinx. I cannot go to a Giants Super Bowl, uh, you know, when they're in it. So uh, if I ever get invited <laughs> to a Giants Super Bowl, I don't know if I can take them up on it. Um, if somebody invites me to a non-Giants Super Bowl, maybe I'll go. But I, if I can't jinx the Giants the way that I did, in the 2001 Super Bowl. <laughs> well, that said, one quick question <laughs> before we go into the, your campaign. Uh, got the Masters. Now, you were a golf pro at one point. You know, what do you take with this? Because I was watching Tiger, and it was very obvious towards the end of that round, you know, coming around the 16th, 17th hole, he was in a lot of pain. But, you know, God bless him for having the stamina so far. Well, it's, it's pretty amazing, and, and anybody that, you know, and I think now uh, the television coverage is getting so good that you're starting to see just how undulated the property is. Um, and, and for him to be coming back after 14 months after that horrific car accident, um, you know, it, it's pretty amazing to see him, uh, see him doing what he's doing and, and on the top ten of the leaderboard. Uh, just as, as a sports fan, it's tough to not root for that comeback story. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I remember being in the White House with President Trump when he gave him uh, the Medal of Freedom, and, and that was one, one incredible day. Uh, the same thing with, with Gary Player, what he did for him, who was an honorary starter. So, uh, you know, I, I've, had, I've had the opportunity to play with Tiger a couple of times uh, before I was a professional, when I was a professional, and, and uh, there are few people in the world of sports ever that have had an effect uh, on their game, uh, on their community, on their country, the, the way that Tiger has uh, in golf in the United States of America. Yeah, that's what we were discussing last night when we were all sitting around with our little cocktails in hand. <laughs> all, right. all right, right now you're coming into a primary against Lee Zeldin, and Trump has not endorsed anyone just yet. Well, mm-hmm. I have a funny feeling he just may lean to you, but because he gets such great support from Lee. It's very hard for him at this point. So do you expect him to make an endorsement, or once you come out of the primary as the winner, you expect him to back you? No, I don't expect him to make an endorsement, and that goes back to kind of advice that 
I would have given him when I was in the White House working for him. If you have two allies um, that you know kind of sit it out and you know allow them to, to battle it out and see who survives, and, and that's kind of the tack that he's taking. You know, what I will say is I was with the president. I guess it was about eight days ago now. Um, and we spent uh, a significant amount of time together going through the campaign, going through the strategy. Um, you know, I, I generally like to keep those conversations uh, private on the specifics, but I will tell you he has liked the campaign that we have run. Uh, he does see our path to victory, uh, and, and that's very exciting as somebody who, you know, looks up to the president and, and worked for him uh, and really, you know, knew him for so long before then uh, to be able to uh, share in campaign strategy with somebody who I really think changed, uh, changed politics for the better, obviously, uh, in a way that, you know, that, that, that nobody's changed politics in a very, very long time. Uh, it's very exciting to be able to sit down with him and go through this, and especially to have the positive feed, the feedback that we've been getting. Well, you got, if, if I was still a New Yorker, you would have had my vote, <laughs> if. But uh, <laughs> down here in South Carolina, I can't do that anymore. But uh, we need to turn New York back into a primarily red, because it used to be just uh, New York City and then parts of yeah. Albany. The rest of the state was really predominantly red, but we've seen mm-hmm. a major shift over the years. I mean, Long Island, New York had one of the best Republican parties. You're yeah. starting to see a little bit of a shift back. Are, are you yeah. seeing it with your campaign? Are you seeing people starting to say, wait a minute, we've gone too far left. Let's try to swing it back the other way. Absolutely. So over the last 39 days, uh, I was just uh, in a petition process where we need to get 15,000 New Yorkers to sign in order to get us on the ballot. I'm, I'm honored enough to say that over 25,000 New Yorkers ended up signing from all across the state, from Buffalo to Montauk, uh, that, that want to see us on the ballot and want to see this primary. The, the other real exciting thing in looking at all of the public polling, every single poll that has not been paid for by a candidate. So take the polls that Lee has paid for, take the polls that Rob has paid for, take the polls that I've paid for, and throw them out because you can ask leading questions, you could do all kinds of things. If you take only the seven statewide polls that no candidate has paid for, the first poll had me winning by eight points. The last six polls have had me and the Giuliani campaign winning by double digits, including the last Siena poll, which came out in late February, about six weeks ago, which had us winning over the congressman and over Rob by 20 points. And I think that's the connection that we're having to voters, uh, which is very exciting. Now, now, in terms of what you're talking about, which is the general election and the strategy, I have to tell you, I am so optimistic after seeing what happened in 2021. Um, you know, there are a couple different ways to break this down, but you specifically spoke about Long Island and Westchester. And, and what we're seeing, especially in Long Island, what we're seeing around Albany, what we're seeing in uh, the suburbs of Buffalo and in Rochester, is that those suburban areas that uh, the media has told you for the last decade was trending more blue, swung very, very hard red. Uh, And the numbers are really adding up to a very, very likely chance of a victory on November 8th of 2022. One more metric that, uh, because I love to break down the numbers on this stuff, because, you know, politicians, we all have stories, right? I mean, that's, that's the one thing. We all have stories. You can debate how true they are, how not. But it all stops at the numbers right there, and the stories actually become true or become fictional based on the numbers. So I'll give you one more metric 
that I think is so important in breaking this down. In order to win the state, as a Republican, you need to win 30 to 33 percent of New York City. That's just the way that the numbers break down. There are 8.5 million people in the city, 19.5 million people in the entire state. Curtis Lee, the Republican candidate, won 28.8 percent of New York City, running against probably the most conservative Democrat in the Democratic field. Now, we can debate about Eric Adams right now, and I think Eric uh, has done a poor job over the first 100 days of his administration. But in campaigning, he was the only Democrat who would even acknowledge that crime is a problem. Think about that. That shows you how far left the Democratic Party has gone, that he would be the only candidate to acknowledge it. But he did take the tough-on-crime message and, and that was one of Curtis's you know, best messages in all this, and it made it tougher for Curtis to sell that because Eric was a former cop, because he would acknowledge that it was a problem right there. And Curtis still, even considering all that, was able to get very close to 29% of the vote. We're going to be running against a far more liberal Democrat when it comes to the governor's race, whether it's Tom Swazi, whether it's the incumbent, crime wave Kathy Hochul, or, and we can talk about this one, or if it's the 56th governor of the state of New York, Andrew M. Cuomo. <laughs> oh, what what a dog and pony show would, that would be if he jumped in. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. They would sweep you in. They would absolutely sweep you in. Now, we had Ron DeSantis recently uh, pass the school choice bill, or as the liberals call it, don't say gay bill. Would you be right. pushing for something very similar up in New York? Absolutely. You know, I, I don't know if uh, if uh, you guys were able to see, but about a week and a half ago, I had the uh, the leftist Pravda media try to come after me because I had the gall to say that uh, my daughter, uh, while I'm not a biologist, I can tell the difference between a boy and a girl, and I can tell you that my daughter is a girl. Um, they <laughs> had the gall to actually come after me and say that I was anti-trans and all kinds of things. Uh, I doubled down when I said this, and, and, and there's, a, there's a movie from the early 90s called Kindergarten Cop. And in that movie, there's a young boy who comes out and says, boys have a you-know-what and girls have a you-know-what. And I said to the media, I said, look, if I had to choose between who had a better understanding of gender and the choice was between this fictional five-year-old from this movie – or uh, Katanji Brown, I would choose the fictional five-year-old every single time because he's at least admit, willing to admit the facts over here on this. So for me, getting back to your original question on this, absolutely. I mean, I think what DeSantis is doing in Florida is so important because if we can't agree on the basic things like gender, and we can't even agree on that, then what, what forms of agreement are we going to have? And the fact that he is basically saying, I don't want to – teach sexualization to five and six and seven-year-olds. And look, this is true. This, this is not just with ho homosexuality or transsexuality. This is with heterosexuality. Kids should not be learning sex at five and six and seven years old. It's absurd. I mean, the fact that we have so many people that are interested in teaching this to kids, you know, it, it really get, brings me questions in terms of what their actual intent is. Uh, and to me, it's, it's disgusting. I remember learning sex ed at you know, 13, 14 years old or so, and I, I don't see why it should be any earlier. Now, actually, uh, when they originally brought is health education, they were supposed to be teaching you about you know, diseases yeah. like pneumonia and things like that. But even as a kid, 
I was when I was 13, 14, I understood the foot was being put in the door. And it was just a matter of time they would yank it wide open, which is what they have now done. So instead of you know, teaching the basic biology and health issues, nope, they, they ended up making this all sexualization when that was allegedly not the original intent. So I think between you and DeSantis, we may be able to get our kids back on the right road. Um, but there's so much more because now you can even talk about Title IX in women's sports. Now, how do you have a young girl participate in a school sport, be able to excel at it, and possibly get a scholarship to college and a career in a pro sport when she's competing against a biological man? Yeah, as the father of, of a young daughter, I, I couldn't imagine that. You know, I, I couldn't imagine having my daughter, let's say, playing basketball against somebody who's a biological male who has, you know, 75 pounds on her and, and can, you know, uh, throw around the basketball court. Um, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. Uh, to, to me, it's, it just, I think it shows how perverted the, the, you know, I think the mainstream Democratic Party has become. I mean, these were ideas, as you kind of mentioned, uh, that really up until five, six, seven years ago would exist even in like the corners of leftist college campuses. I mean, they weren't even popular at the time, even in you know these leftist havens. And now they've come full center in the Democratic Party. And, the, and these are the issues that define the Democratic Party, that define the Biden administration, that, that define uh, Pelosi and Schumer and, and, and now uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives. Um, to, to me, it just shows exactly why we need to stand up and we cannot get intimidated by, you know, articles that say, well, you're anti-trans because I believe my daughter's a girl. No, well, guess what? I still believe my daughter's a girl. I don't care what you write about me. And, uh, you know, I'll keep on saying that till my dying day, because the truth is, um, you know, we need to make sure that we leave a better place for those girls and for those boys that we are raising. And you're not going to do it by not having some courage and not standing up against these bullies on the left. Now, you touched on immigration a little bit earlier, and uh, God bless Abbott. He said, now, if you send illegals here to the Biden administration, we're going to end up flying them or busting them up to you in D.C. Uh, would you take a very similar tact? Yeah, I think I would just you know, probably send them to Martha's Vineyard and to Delaware specifically. So, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would find, maybe also to uh, – Pelosi's district in San Francisco. So we, we would find four or five places where I'm sure some of the maybe I'd, I would also uh, target, you know, AOC's district. Maybe that's the one place in New York where I would I would actually target and say, no, look, the truth is it, it's it's been absolutely crazy. The, the invasion on the southern border that we've seen over the last 15 months. And, and unfortunately, just like everything that we've seen coming from the Democratic Party over the last 15 months, really over the last you know, decade, it's been politically driven. It has nothing to do with the welfare of Americans. Uh, just think of the hypocrisy in this. Uh, you have over 2 million illegal immigrants that have crossed the southern border last year. And I might be low on that number, but I know it's over 2 million illegal immigrants that have crossed the border. Meanwhile, at the same time, you had the left complaining about a global pandemic that was continuing to go up in the United States of America. So where is the welfare of Americans in all of this? It doesn't exist. The, the, the truth is this is only politically driven. This is only to make sure that they can ensure power 
for a longer period of time, uh, and, and that's the whole concern about this. And that's what we're seeing on a statewide level here in New York as well. I mean, the fact that still uh, the, the governor uh, is still trying to force five-year-olds to get vaccinated at this point when the data does not support it. If anything, the data right now is showing us more and more that kids may be more prone to myocarditis, might be more prone to side effects in all this. It shows to me, it actually, it's almost like a crime against humanity in my mind. Why they would ultimately be jumping the gun on this rather than saying, you know what, this is something that should not be political. But let's make sure we prioritize our kids and let's actually see the science on this and start setting the long-term effects on this. It shows me that it's only political. Yeah. Now, when I lived in New York, obviously, because this was the cop that yelled at you that one time at the Columbus Day Parade. <laughs> Which uh, one? That doesn't narrow, narrow it down, you know? <laughs> I deserve it, I'm sure. <laughs> well, anyway, we worked hard uh, for protecting the unborn child, uh, especially yeah. if the woman was a victim of a crime. And mm-hmm. with the stroke of the pen, Andrew Cuomo killed that, killed mm-hmm. that completely. Uh, would you look to repeal what he did? Again, make it a crime if the child is killed or injured in the commission of a crime? Yes. I, I, I think specifically uh, when, when you look at, um, you know, and I remember this like I was in New York. I don't know. I, I think I might have been in D.C. On, on the day, but it was so vivid in my memory. I remember the day that, that Cuomo signed that bill and them lighting up the Empire State Building to celebrate uh, their abortions uh, to celebrate, you know, week 39 abortions. Uh, again, one of the most disgusting things that I've ever seen right there. This is, you know, it, 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 like you said, this is um, when you're talking about murdering a living being like this, um, and especially when you're talking about something at week 39, week 38, something that can live on its own. I mean, it's, it's, it's unconscionable to me. I, I can tell you for me, this became very clear um, and became very personal, I should say. Uh, I remember seeing the ultrasound when my daughter was, I think, eight or nine weeks old. Uh, and at that moment, you know, it was, it was obvious that that's a living being in there. And, and, you know, it's my duty as a father to protect her. Um, and it became personal at that moment for me. Yeah, because I had actually pulled the the bill up, even though I no longer live in New York. You know, I pulled the bill up and I read it from cover to cover. And what mm-hmm. struck me is that any quote medical professional, which means your pharmacist or your physical therapist, could perform that abortion. They left the, the, the definition so broad. All you had to do was have some sort of an association in the medical field. So it doesn't mean that you're uh, a doctor or a surgeon. And this is what struck me is that how um, insensitive, how cruel it was It was set up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it is, as I said before, completely unconscionable and, and something that, uh, you know, became completely personal to me. You know, when, when you have a child of your own and you look in, into her eyes and, and uh, you know, see that, I mean, that, that's, she's what we're fighting for. She's the whole reason why we're doing this. As I mentioned before, this is to make sure we give her a, a better world, a better world that was handed to us. Um, and, and that's why we put it all on the line and do this. So um, to, to not protect uh, our most vulnerable life 
uh, is, uh, as I said, uh, and, and I'll say it again, uh, it's unconscionable and, and it's personal for me. Yeah, now, a few years back, and starting to rear its ugly head once again, is the National Popular Vote Compact, the Interstate Compact. Um, yeah. I know that we stopped it here in South Carolina, but every now and then they try to bring it back up again. So now I'm not exactly sure if New York State, I think they were one of the ones that signed on to it. Uh, I believe they did. Um, I, I'm, I, I believe that uh, they certainly are pushing the charge along with California. Um, but you think about this, you know, in particular, um, you know, wh- what it would do to, you know, 38, 40 of the states around the, around the country uh, where you would never see presidential candidates. You know, it's, to me, it's, it's such a disservice, uh, and it's the exact opposite of what the founding fathers set up here um, in this incredible experiment uh, that is the United States of America. So, uh, you know, it's something that I would, I would strongly oppose here in New York. Um, I, think, I think that the, the system that we have, um, while we certainly saw the major flaws uh, in 2020, um, I think at least from an electoral standpoint, it's something that, uh, look, it's, it's written right in the Constitution. We talk about states' rights. Uh, this, is, this is the idea for it. There's a reason, there's a reason why uh, you know, th- that is in our Constitution and, uh, and, and, and is such an important part of our founding documents. Yeah. Now, um, New York City recently, they passed the law that anyone that's a resident, a legal resident, you don't have to be a citizen, can vote. Yeah. Now, how would you protect the rest of the state from what New York City might do? Because whatever New York City does has tremendous, as you said it before, tremendous influence on the rest of the state. Yeah, it does. And, and actually, the real interesting thing about it is, you know, the, the reason why uh, the city council passed it in the city and was not even explored in the state assembly or the state senate is because it's very clear in the New York State Constitution that you need to be legal residents of the United States of of New York of the state of New York. Um, it, it doesn't say that anywhere in the city charter, but the city charter does uh, refer to the New York State Constitution uh, when it deals with its voter voting laws. Um, actually, this. Even though this was passed, Bill de Blasio, you know, I mean, one of the most left politicians we have ever seen and, and, you know, the worst mayor in the history of New York City, he even would not sign this bill because he thought it would not actually stand up to a legal challenge. Uh, Eric Adams, while he did not veto the bill, he also did not sign the bill and allowed the 30 days to expire, allowing it to become law. And I'm pretty certain he did that because just like a lot of things Eric Adams has done, this is actually a perfect example of him. He wants to be able to speak out of both sides of his mouth. He wants to be able to pander to the left by saying, I allowed that bill to pass. But he also wanted to make sure if this thing did not stand up against a legal challenge, which I think, unless you get a judge which is extremely political, which, let's face it, in New York, you might be likely to get, um, anybody who's unbiased who looks at this can see the real problems uh, with this. Uh, and I think it might have some real issues in the courts. Uh, but a- as governor, what I would do is I-, I would make sure that we take whatever legal action has not been taken uh, by private citizens already, because to me this is uh, an affront on our election integrity. And uh, I think it's exactly what uh, voters in New York voted down in 2021. There were five propositions on the back of the ballot in New York State in 2021. Uh, Propositions one, three, and four all dealt 
with voter integrity. And I, and I actually said it the opposite way. Propositions 1, 3, and 4 would, would have made it a lot easier to cheat in elections in New York. New Yorkers voted all three of those down, which is amazing. And I think that right there, that shows you the potential for New York State in 2022 in terms of winning this. So even New Yorkers that generally lean left, they looked and said, you know what, this is a real problem for voter integrity in New York. And instead, you have a city council that's so far left, a lame duck city council at that, that tries to pass this, which would allow 800,000 illegal immigrants to vote in New York City. I think it's going to have real trouble in the courts. And if it doesn't, we are going to reexamine it starting on January 1st of next year. God bless on that one. You know, one of the things that really breaks my heart is watching the rising crime rate in New York State, especially in areas that were, you know, safe havens, you would think. So I grew up in Brentwood, New York, and later on my parents moved to Westbury. So I know those areas, and to see the rise in especially gang and drug violence, um, would you put together a task force statewide with all the different agencies and try to combat this thing once and for all and clear New York? Yes, the answer is yes. And, and I could tell you, you know, a strategy, and this is a, a little bit off topic from the question that you're, that you're asking here, but I think it's important to, to outline what really is a day one strategy uh, for me. Um, you know, if, if as, as many people who understand New York know, uh, the MTA actually, even though 90 plus percent of it of the of the tracks exist in New York City, is actually has more. The governor has more board seats than the mayor does. So the governor actually controls the board of the MTA and certainly has the the authority to be able to um, to be able to have influence over the MTA. So what I would do as governor on day one, if we continue to see crime going up as we saw for eight years of de Blasio, and as we've now seen for the first three months of under Adams, uh, I would immediately deploy my state troopers. I would deploy assets to the subways, to the Long Island Railroad, and to the MTA, making that as safe and as clean of a user experience as possible. Now, what that is going to do is that is going to put immediate pressure on the mayor, because I can tell you, if New Yorkers see a user experience that is safe that is clean underground or while they're on the platforms, the LIRR or the Metro North, and then they come above ground and they feel threatened and they feel like they're in danger, as New Yorkers have felt over the last couple of years, I will tell you there will be so much heat on the mayor to get this done that he is going to have to get it done. Um, but in, in, after going through all that, I will absolutely work to put a task force together, hopefully with the help of the mayor. I really do think he is somebody that you know probably would want to work with a governor who wants to make uh, who wants to make the, the state a safer place in New York City a safer place. I do think he doesn't understand the, the power of his leverage and his ninety eight point five billion dollar budget because if he did, I can tell you he would not have walked back from Albany or come back from Albany with his tail between his legs, not getting anything done on bail reform. Oh, that's another big one, bail reform. But uh, waiting, we're waiting for our next guest to uh, call in. So we're going to have you hang out for a little while. Matter of fact, um, it's uh, Walter uh, Yurko of the uh, Liberty Roundtable, which I will be a guest on tomorrow morning with uh, Sam Bushman. And you've hosted that in the past, correct? 
Uh, I believe I have. I believe I have. The Liberty Roundtable, it does ring a bell. Uh, I, I will have to say the last couple of days I have, uh, we did pull an all-nighter while getting these petitions in, so my mind is a little foggy. I want to be as completely honest with the listeners as possible. But it does ring a bell, and Walter does ring a bell as well. So please uh, give Walter my best and, and tell him to reach out because I would love to uh, either host again or if I haven't and we've made a mistake, then host for the first time. <laughs> well, they said you posted a few times, a few times. Listen, oh, another thing that oh, is it, uh, is I said. Is this on the 7-5 radio? Is that what yes. that is on, on yes. the 7-5? Yes, yes, I have. Of yes. course. Of course I have. Yes. And I've loved posting <laughs> with them. We've done the Saturday Night Show a couple of times. So absolutely. Yeah. So uh, like I said, I'll be on there tomorrow morning. Nine o'clock at my time, so I, I'm not going to get my beauty rest tonight. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, one last, one last question before we go, because you also mentioned the rising, uh, rising crime rates. But one of the things is the rising tax rates, um, yeah. and it's it's chasing a lot of small businesses. And COVID did nothing to help keep small business in New York. Now. COVID is on the downswing. States are opening back up. What would you do to encourage more businesses to return to New York, especially small businesses opening and lowering the tax burden? Well, you say COVID did nothing, but I would say it was, it was the lack of leadership during COVID that really did nothing. I mean, when you look at uh, a governor in Cuomo and a mayor in de Blasio who basically just tried to make it harder and harder on businesses to operate, Uh, and to open back up and to allow them to basically make the decisions that they needed to make. I mean, you got to remember, right? Let's take restaurants, for example. Why is the state dictating how many people should sit in a restaurant? The market is going to be able to tell you this, right? And I think this is really what would have been smart on this. Once everything had opened back up, which should have been immediately, let's say, end of April, um, once everything opened back up, you then needed to allow – every single business to decide for themselves, hey, we want to go at 50% capacity, hey, we want to go at 90% capacity, whatever it is. And then you are going to be able to see very, very clearly, very quickly where New Yorkers feel more comfortable. And that business model, I'm telling you, it is a copycat business, will ultimately be repeated. But that's the beauty. It shouldn't be government dictating that. It should be the market that dictates that. But from my standpoint, in terms of rising tax and rising regulatory issues, It's one of the reasons why we lead the country in out-migration. You had almost 2% of New York's population leave in 2021. Look, it's going to be one of the major things that I'm going to do as governor. We start attacking uh, the highest tax rate in the country along with California on day one. But I can tell you what we will start doing immediately on day one is a major regulatory reform agenda similar to President Trump's regulatory agenda in the United States of America. It was one of the things that I had the honor to work on with uh, the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but in 2016, President Trump made the campaign promise that for every regulation he'd sign into law, he would cut two. That number, by the time he walked out of office, was over eight to one. And that's why we saw such an economic boom that we saw that lasted up until the pandemic here in the United States of America. And by the way, the lowest unemployment rate ever in recorded history for African-American, Asian-American, and Hispanic-Americans. Uh, that's the type of approach that we need in New York, uh, and that's the type of approach we need uh, federally, so that way we can, uh, you know, unfortunately we're seeing the opposite of right now, right? We're seeing gas prices 
close to $5. We're seeing inflation that, that's eating away at uh, whatever potential income gains or small income gains people have had over the last couple of years. Uh, and unfortunately, it's making us more dependent on government. That's why I think, uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing right now, uh, there is a purpose behind this and there's a motive behind this. And it's why we need good men and women to step up now more than ever. I, I, one of the things I hear on the campaign trail sometimes, which is very dangerous, is, you know, I don't, I don't believe in the system. I, I'm not even going to participate anymore. No, that is a wrong answer. Now you need to get in more involved and you need to get your friends more involved it is now more apparent more than now than ever that you need to do that ignorance is not going to solve this problem we need good americans that are going to step up that are going to get their friends involved and they're going to make sure that they leave a country better for their kids than was handed to them exactly at one of my tea party meetings we had the county gop chair and someone said well why should i vote oh i thought he was going to absolutely explode this is exactly why you have to vote. It's not why should I? No, this is exactly why. Because if you're not happy who's already in office, if you're not happy with that policy, then if you don't vote, then you are responsible for that bad policy and that per- bad person in office. So, Andrew, I want to thank you. And you're always welcome back. Always welcome back here. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to joining you soon. And give Walter my best. And good luck hosting tomorrow. Yes, thank you very much, and God bless. And give your dad Thanks. my love, too. Take care. Thank you. All right. Will do. Check out Andrew Giuliani. It's NewYorkForGiuliani.com. There's a link on the show page, so just click on it, NewYorkForGiuliani.com, as well as checking out Joe Pinion, JoePinion.com. want to welcome to the show for the first time. He is one of the hosts at 7.5 Radio, Walt. And I know, Walt, I'm going to say your name wrong, but I'm going to try it anyway. You're cute. You're cute. You're cute. Yeah, you got it. Okay. You got it. That's what, that's what I, I have a Latvian last name, so everyone messes mine up. It messes up completely. Oh, man. Yeah, I, you understand. Know, you and, I understand that. You and uh, Pete host a show, The 7-5. Tell us about that. All right. Well, 7-5 Radio is, is, uh, is under the umbrella of Liberty News Network in, out of Memphis, and it's a conservative station. And we're on uh, every Saturday uh, night live, um, at nine o'clock I think Central, ten Eastern. Um, I, I live in the Central Time, and let me tell you, it's only an hour, but I get screwed up every time I try to think of what time I'm on. Uh, <laughs> and Scoop calls, Scoop calls me like like a half an hour before we do on, just to remind me to make sure I'm in the in the right zone, sort of. Uh, so seven five radio came about. It's, it's about it's uh, just about exactly four years old yesterday. Um, Scoop uh, had another show uh, before that. It was called uh, Red Forty Two, and he was on there with uh, uh, a fellow named Jim Lancia, also a former MOS of the NYPD, um, and they did a show for quite a while. They, uh, you know, t- we talk about conservative stuff. Uh, we pick on what's going on in the in the media. We pick on what's going on in the White House. Uh, I fortunately started during the, the Trump years, and so it was pretty easy, you know, in uh, talking about politics. But now it's a, it's a little more funny talking about politics. Uh, we, we, we've covered many, many stories. Uh, when you hear our show for the first time, what we do is we pay homage to the members of the service throughout our country 
um, that laid their life down in the line of duty, and we give them honorable mention and have moments of peace. Uh, and that, that's the difficult part of, of, of our show. And then we can move on to something political, funny, uh, satirical. Uh, we do okay. Sometimes I get into a, a, how can you say, on a roll, and I'll do an Andy Rooney routine for almost a whole hour, just talking about whatever and, and getting it out there, whatever my opinion is. And anything that comes out of our mouths is our own opinion. It's not something that we read on Facebook or any other social media. And, uh, you know, we enjoy it. It's been four years. Um, working with Scoop it probably seems like 11, but uh, it's only been four. And uh, we'll have a good show. Too. We'll get, well, you and I are going to have a good chat today because Scoop isn't on the air. <laughs> well, uh, I will be with uh, Sam tomorrow morning. Uh, bright and early, <clears throat> so mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting. I, I, I you got to make me get up that early in the morning. Jeez, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, on, um, on, a, on a Saturday, let alone Central Time. Yeah, I, I'm on Eastern Standard Time, so it may be ten o'clock. What it was you're you're what an hour? You're an hour behind, behind me, right? Yeah, so it would right. be eight o'clock his time. So yeah. I, I don't like climbing out of bed until like around 10 in the morning. <laughs> I'm a lazy. Because, you know, after you work, you know, around the clock, especially if you're getting up at 4 in the morning, because the last two years I was one of the walking wounded, and I would go in mm-hmm. at 4 a.m. just so I can get the night diff. Uh, that's night differential. You get a little extra money when you work certain hours. Right. And when uh, Walt said MOS, that's member of the service, meaning that you were law enforcement. So it, it's kind of like code words we use <laughs> at times. But um, mm-hmm. I, I actually watched the 7-5 movie last night, and there was so much I had forgotten. And this was all occurring just as I was in the police academy coming out. So you had a few years up on me uh, when all yeah. this went down. Yeah. But it's a, it's a movie yeah. that was really rather interesting. And uh, uh, Michael Dowd was a piece of work. He really was. And uh, he was the well, kingpin still, behind all that. He still is. Yeah, he's a, he still is a piece of work, um, and, uh, and you know I talk to Michael occasionally and 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 uh, Chicky occasionally. Um, you know, it's not like we're butt buddies or anything, but you know we we, we stayed in touch. Uh, you know, since that nonsense and ridiculousness that we got ourselves into, um, we've all pretty much led family lives. Uh, you know, Chicky got married and had some kids. I got married again and had a kid. Uh, I moved down to the Middle South. Chicky's out west, and Michael's down in in God's waiting room. So, uh, you know, we we we've been more successful after than before. Um, which, you know, I'm happy with what I have now. You know, uh, not knowing what I could have had, you know, 35 years ago. Uh, but you know, I'm happy with what I have now. My son's going into Air Force uh, in a couple of months. I'm retired from social work. Um, I worked down here for 17 years for, with uh, uh, adults with developmental disabilities. And uh, of all things, I took care of their money and, and helped them <laughs> spend it. And, uh, some, some, of the, some of my people, you know, lived on their own. So there was rent to pay, cable, phone, you know, you name it, just like uh, any kind of bills you and I have. Um, I also took care of them, went to the doctors with them, spent nights in a hospital when they were sick with them. Uh, you know, you name it. I had 13 kids, um, you know, plus a newborn at the time. So, 
you know, all, all you know, we've all been pretty successful, you know, since uh, since the mid '90s. Uh, Michael didn't get out of prison until uh, 2004, I believe, and um, he had a tough time coming out, uh, as I did. Uh, but once we got our feet, you know, on the ground moving forward, you know, uh, we've never looked back. Um, and we were out of touch until uh, we were out of touch until somebody decided to make a movie, a documentary about what happened in the 80s and 90s and the 75s. So, let's see, the last time I spoke to Michael before this mess happened was probably... Uh, late April 1992, and next time I spoke to him mm-hmm. was probably late 2012. So it was 20-plus wow. years. Um, yes. Uh, we were arrested in May of 92, and, you know, we had our own things to worry about. Um, so until uh, Tilla Russell, who directed the, uh, the 7-5, decided that instead of making a movie about the Mollen Commission, um, that came about because of Michael's uh, uh, arrest. Um, once he met Michael and uh, and uh, Kenny Urell, he, they decided to make the movie about us and why mm-hmm. we got and how we got involved in this 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 stuff. So um, and you know and the rest is history. Like you said, you you saw it last night. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of so much, and then the names just started to come back to me. Because where I worked in the 9-0, the borough was right upstairs. So mm-hmm. everyone was traipsing, traipsing in and out of the borough back then. The borough was, uh, yeah. for people that don't understand what I'm talking about, is precinct is broken up into sections. So you would have Brooklyn North, which is we called the borough. In Brooklyn South, mm-hmm. you would have Manhattan. And so each, each um, oh, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm having a brain fart here. It's not county okay. borough. Borough was, thank you. Each borough would be broken up into these subdivisions. So I worked where mm-hmm. one of the headquarters were. So watching them all come traipsing in and out. And then the last two years that I was one of the walking wounded, I worked for the precinct ICL, which is the integrity control mm-hmm. officer, who remains a very good friend of right. mine. And uh, we were getting all the scoop of what was going on. As a matter of fact, Patty Lynch, I think I told you, I rode with him. Uh, he was in right. my squad when I first got to the command. Well, I never left because the NSU mm-hmm. and the command were in the same place. So I've known Patty since I graduated in December of 86. Um, I still send him Christmas cards. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Okay. But getting, getting off of that, uh, I pulled out a couple of things. And you talk about media. You talk about what's going on. And one of our favorite people is Jen Psaki. Um, and she's not she's not happy that she's being put in the hot seat now because she's agreed to take a position with MSNBC while she's still the White House chief spokesperson. Now, isn't that a right. bit of a conflict of interest? I mean, you're going to be having them interview you when you're going to be going to work for them. How do you know that she's not going to give them certain inside information that no other news outlet would have access to? And this is like, I got a big problem with this one. Oh, uh, I agree with you, you know, 100%. Uh, Jen Psaki has, you know, the president's ear um, and uh, his lips against her ear, and 
she knows, you know, the inside stuff. You can tell she knows because of the way she presents herself at the uh, at the press uh, conferences. Uh, she knows what's going on. She just doesn't want to tell anybody. Um, she's found somebody, I think, or somebody's found her that can hear it from her, you know, behind closed doors. And MSNBC um, is unpopular. It's been the past dozen years or so. Um, is trying to get back some some decent rating, ratings and 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 people because even a lot of Democrats, from what I understand, and I got a lot of Democratic friends. This used to be I, I live in Tennessee. It used to be a Democratic state um, back to the Al Gore days and his father. So uh, uh, there was a lot of Democrats, and finally got changed during the Bush years. Now there's still a lot of diehard Democrats down here, and I hear from them that they don't like those media. Uh, uh, Areas either MSNBC, you know, you, you know Fox, you, you know none of them. Maybe they're trying to draw them back. The Midtown, well, uh, Midtown. Listen to where my mind is. Midtown, Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> I got my mind the, the midterm elections are, are, you know, upon us. I mean, don't blink because you miss them. Uh, and people are starting to not scatter but gather, um, and try to make powerpoints on who's going to take the house. And who's going to be in control? And who is going to be the speaker? Um, and we'll know in, in six short months. But Jim yeah, Jackie, I think we, she's going to she, she's going to be she's going to be a, a good information uh, uh, like like a spy for MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's what I, I, I'm seeing. But. Uh, She's not liking the heat she's getting from the rest of the media who are questioning her. And I love uh, Steve Ducey. He he's definitely has a lot more cojones than uh, his father has because he will go after the jugular vein and bless him for that because – and he won't back down. It's like you're taking my question, and you're going to answer the question. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need yeah. journalists to do. More Steve Ducey's out there and less Jen Psaki's. Absolutely. And and you know just just three short four short years ago it was more more costly than uh, I've heard down here you know where I live Chattanooga area that Steve Ducey's he he's not really well liked like I said it's still diehard Democrats down here um, that he uh, he's just imitating um, what's his name Costa with uh, his first name escapes me because I don't like him. Jim Acosta. Jim Acosta. So, you know, they think they, a lot of people are saying that Ducey is a poor imitation of him. But in actuality, uh, like you said, Ducey is doing the correct thing. He's not being arrogant. He's, he's not talking back. What he's doing is saying, pay attention to my question. My question is. And mm-hmm. she just refuses to answer it. I mean, she entertains him, you know, like a, you know, uh, uh, you know, like the black sheep of the family coming over for Thanksgiving. Uh, and <laughs> she's entertaining him, but she's not answering. She, she's not answering him, you know, whatsoever. No. And Jim Acosta, no. he's, you know, he's, he's the fellow that took the, uh, the microphone away from the young lady that was in the, in, the, in the White House press room a few years ago and touched her, yeah. actually pushed, pushed her away a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, and then went he down to the border. He should have been arrested for assault. You know, oh, Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, somebody, you know, isn't asking to be touched, is being touched by this guy. And he's doing it in an arrogant way uh, to try and show, you know, he's an alpha male when he's really a pussy. 
um, if I can say that on your on your show. So <laughs> we we do try to refrain our language a little bit, but you know, uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, kid, the college kid, that went after Brian Stelter of CNN, and Stelter's mm-hmm. like so taken aback by a young kid, and he was so good. And he was so on point about all the fake news going back to 2016 and beyond that Stelter mm-hmm. had absolutely no answer for him. So what's he do? It's like, you know, he just tries to duck and evade the entire question completely. Like CNN has never put a wrong story out there or ignored things like the Hunter Biden laptop or other things like that. Mm-hmm. But the kid was yeah. perfect. I mean, if he can get onto One American News or Newsmax – or even if Fox has enough cojones to turn around and hire him to work side by side with Steve Ducey, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. I, that, that kid should be applauded. Absolutely, absolutely. And and he, you know he he he's, he started doing his thing outside the White House dur- during the Trump years um, because you know Jim Acosta uh, had uh, pretty much sent a court when it came to questioning President Trump at the time, um, and Ducey was outside, you know, and he bit his time and and now you know he's in center court uh and he's in the forefront um he's going places i don't hear much of anything about jim acosta these these days but uh, peter ducey he, he's going places uh and he's going to be in that white house press room for a long time to come i because he's likable i mean look at the guy you, you know he, he's american pie you know blonde hair blue eyes and uh, probably had a freckle or two when he was a kid so, you know, what's not to like about him? And he's calm. He's not arrogant. He just sits there nice and calm and just, you know, he's, he's got a please and a thank you. Um, but he shows his dominance when he needs to. But it's in such a way where it's not offensive or it shouldn't be taken as offensive. Um, you know, he's not like Acosta, which is like a fly at a barbecue that keeps annoying the hell out of you. Um, <laughs> Mr. Ducey is, 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 is quite the, the young fella. You know, he's gone the right track, and I think he's going to go places. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, I want to switch a little over to uh, cancel culture, because in a lot of ways, mainstream media, well, I call it lamestream media, is, a lot of, is responsible for allowing this to run rampant. They haven't called it out for what it is. So now it's gotten to the point where a church in Chicago uh, says during the Lenten season, which is the Christian season uh, that we we sacrifice things leading up into Easter, mm-hmm. the Holy Week at Easter, and for their fast, this is fast from whiteness. I mean, whatever happened to content of character? And what makes you I think I had a choice being born who I am? God doesn't make mistakes, does he? Not that I've heard of. <laughs> well, we can, well, we can question I think, a few I things. I think I'm right where I'm supposed to, I think I'm right where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, you know, if, if, if people think that, you know, you know, white is not right, then, you know, then you're looking at a racist. Ah, but, Even but, when white people say it. Mm-hmm. So I've got my co-host sitting here rather quietly. I'm just waiting for him to start chiming in here. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know it, it, Martin Luther King was like content of character. Um, Christianity, Christ 
taught. It didn't matter who you were, where you were born, uh, whatever. He treated everyone as one of God's children. And instead of saying that we are all one and loved by God, we are all his children. No, no, no. You have to separate people by race, uh, by pronoun, uh, by whatever means they can to divide us. And they cannot Mm -hmm. maintain power in office over us unless they do. So unless there's a victim, they will will lose the the Pelosi's, the AOC's, they'll lose their power. I I would say you were right, Annie, because of the fact that um, this is how they keep people um, under their umbrella, you know, victimizing them, you know. And they use um, the prism. Um, they get them to see things through the prism of race, um, class envy, and, and so on. Um, look at what's happening with this um, Supreme Court justice um, candidate. Everything is race. You know, Joe Biden even said from the get-go that I'm going to um, nominate a black woman. It wasn't based on her skills or her talents or her experience. It was because he needed a black woman on the Supreme Court. And that's just the way the left does business. That's my rant. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Ann and, and I remember from, from the 80s um, when the sergeant's test or any promotional test was given. Oh, yeah, um, the curve. It, it was pretty disparaging when you didn't make boss um, because – the the city the the police department decided to give a curve to certain applicants and and test takers and uh i worked under a few sergeants that got the curve and you know they weren't any smarter they weren't any dumber i shouldn't say dumber it's actually stupider than anybody else that had stripes on um because you know if you didn't know the the patrol guide there was somebody next to you that did so you can kind of ad lib your uh the, the way you handled yourself out on the street according to policy um but then it got really flooded and you know not just by african-american men and women it was uh brown across the board and oriental also um across the board uh i took the sergeant's test i passed it unfortunately um, I got into legal problems, so I never made boss. Um, but it was kind of tough pill. It was a kind of tough pill for not just, you know, members of the service, but the city as a whole. You know, you had half the city bidding against each other, and then it turned to be black and white again. And, well, you got those stripes because you're black. Even though the guy might have gotten 100 on it, he was still considered a curve. Um, mm-hmm. And it, you know it was unfortunate because it it, it wore out itself with, from within the precinct, and you know all of a sudden you know when people made the made the list and you know had sergeants uh, stripes on them, you knew who and who didn't you know legitimately, um, and that included you know like I said uh, Hispanics because Hispanics uh, uh, mostly Puerto Rican you know, uh, were the majority of, of uh, Latinos that were on the job back then. And, you know, just until, you know, last 25 years or so where there's 
uh, you know, it's like a megalopolis of Latinos from all over South America. Dominica, you know, all these people are are on the job now, which is fine. But in the 80s, that curve really didn't sit well with a lot of people. And if you talk to retired detectives, people that retired as detectives and never made sergeant because of it, and, you know, 35 now, almost 40 years later, still bitter about it. They're still yeah. bitter about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, I've been very angry because uh, I took it twice. And had it been a straight grade, I would have had somewhere in the upper 90s. Uh, I think the lowest I had was the 92, 93. Uh, my, mm-hmm. my late husband would sit there with the patrol guide with me and just start to quiz me. And he helped mm-hmm. me go through all the te- the the tapes, remember you used to buy the tapes and you'd be playing yeah. them going back yeah. and forth to the command. Uh, I would mm-hmm. be playing them nonstop and he would pause it and say, all right, what's the answer to that? So like he was working with me and he saw how disgusted I was each time I mm-hmm. knew I did well. And when the scores yeah. came out and then all of a sudden they adjusted it with the curve and sure enough, I got passed over mm-hmm. by someone that scored lower than I did. You know, it's not mm-hmm. by merit. It's by, uh, what, what was it, uh, affirmative action. And that's right. not how we should be yeah. hiring those that are out there to protect and serve. You want the best of the best, not, not second rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have leaders and you have followers. And if you're a follower, how could you be given the leadership? Um, you know, and you would laugh at some, some of the things that uh, – uh, Made sergeants, uh, men and women, would say or do out in the street. Um, and, you know, it, a lot of people didn't realize until they got on the job, and I know I didn't. You, you can go from cop to captain in five years if you hit the tests correctly. Uh, and, you know, you, you could be 25 years old and be a captain in the, in the New York City Police Department. And then the, mm-hmm. rest, of the, you know, the rest of the ranks are, are appointed. And, you know, you, you could be a full bird inspector at 29. So, yeah. you know, you can have a lot of young people leading a lot of more experienced people. Let's say more experienced. I think that would be appropriate. Uh, and, you know, we just laugh at them. And I, here I am on the job three years, and somebody's on the job four years, and he or she is a sergeant, and they just don't know what the hell to do. Right. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people looked at me cross-eyed, uh, very cross-eyed, after I got into my legal troubles. Because uh, although I was doing what I did, Michael did what he did, Kenny, Chicky, and, you know, a bunch of other guys that I'm not going to mention that were never arrested, other guys that weren't arrested, um, we were good cops. We we, we knew our job. We knew the patrol guide. You know, we knew the Constitution. We did our jobs. Um, And the bosses would come to one of us, you know, when when there's a melee. They'd come to – I remember a couple of times a sergeant come to me. He says, what's going on, Walter? And, you know, there were 25 cops around, and he came to me. Uh, same uh, thing with Walter, Michael. Well, Walter, I've got my next guest in on the line. Um, people okay. can find right. the radio show that you and Scoop are on. Tell them where to go. Mm-hmm. Be polite okay. about it. We're on Facebook. <laughs> we're on Facebook. Uh, you can look us up at uh, 7-5 Radio on Facebook. We're on uh, – uh, the other one I don't I don't use. Scoop uses it. What's the other one? The one with the bird. Uh, I uh, don't Twitter. use it. I got thrown off of it. 
Yeah, I got thrown off that too many times, so I, I couldn't keep coming up with emails and remembering them. So uh, <laughs> we're on 7.5 Radio, the Liberty News Network. We're on Saturday nights, um, 9 Central, 10 Eastern. Uh, you can go to our website, 75radio.org, and it will give you all the links to find us. And, okay, uh, and I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And we'll be talking again. You take care. Yes, we will. Thank you, dear. Bye. All right. Uh, Walt Yurko, 7-5 Radio. I want to welcome back to the show. We have not had him on in a long, long time, and that's my fault. I'm getting swamped with so many people saying they want to come on. But, Jeff, you are in my heart. Jeff Cruer of Ringside Politics. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing today? Hey, Annie. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Sounds like you're busy. Oh, jeez. You wouldn't believe. I'm, I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger. <laughs> that's how I put it off. <laughs> I mean, we well, started off hey, with Joe Pinion. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I've interviewed him. He's, he's good. He's good. All right. Andrew Giuliani just had on. Uh, as a matter of fact, Andrew, I had to tell him a funny story because I met little Andrew when Andrew, I think, was about six or seven years old, and uh, his dad was running for mayor the first time. And I was a board officer for the Columbia Association in New York City Police uh, Department. So we had invited him to march with us on Columbus Day. And here's little Andrew going around the basement of a church that was feeding us before the parade, smacking the cops on the back of their heads. And I just stood up and I said, that's it. And I yelled at him. And all the other cops around me go, don't you know who that is? And I said, I don't care. You don't go running around smacking the back of cops like that. I don't care who <laughs> kid you are. Exactly. Rudy, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani was there with his wife at the time, I believe it was Donna Fiducia. And they just looked at me, they smiled and didn't say a word. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to yell at Andrew. <laughs> but I did get to go to the inauguration. That's for sure. Hey, you listen, know, um, those were the days I wish New York had him as mayor now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, it's, a, it's a sad time to see it. And uh, that's my New York City up there. But uh, I'm down here in South Carolina yeah. now. May not have been born in the South, but I got here as soon as I could. You know that. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Good. I see your show Ringside uh, Politics is being picked up, which is fantastic, in a lot of different areas where we're watching other places like Newsmax and OAN getting dropped. Uh, but I was surprised that you're up on Roku, too. I just recently got all my TVs on Roku, so I'm going to have to find you there. Yeah, it's good because, you know, people watch the show on different platforms. So, as you said, the show is Ringside Politics, and, you know, I've historically had it on the radio in New Orleans, WGSO, and for the past um, about two, three years, I've been on Real America's Voice, which is an up-and-coming uh, network, and uh, they are on you know, uh, some platforms, uh, Dish, uh, they're on um, uh, Roku, uh, all kinds of different uh, ways that you can check it out. And, you know, it's nice because people watch it. Uh, some some people just watch it on, on the website. Some people watch it on uh, Pluto TV, which is uh, a great platform that uh, people check us out on. And I'm on early in the morning, Annie, so it's 7 to 8 uh, Eastern. So I do the, the TV portion of it and then the radio portion. Mm. I mean, I 
that's a little bit too early for me here. Uh, but <laughs> I know I it's to, early. I will have. To, I'll have to check the archives because uh, people can go to actually your website and get access to all this, which is your last name, C R O U E R E dot net. Correct. Correct. And that is a place where they can get access to everything and my columns. And, you know, I've got a book out, uh, America's Last Chance, and do YouTube videos. So they can get it all there, Annie. That's a great place for them to go. See, now I didn't know you have a book out because I get a lot of authors and their agents will send me the books in the mail or, you know, overnight or whatever. Suddenly it's like, all right, fine. Now I got to call so-and-so and book an interview. So I need to get a copy of your book and we're going to have to talk about that next time you come on. Well, actually hold off because I'm working on the sequel. That book's a few years old, but people are still getting it because it's still uh, very uh, accurate based on what we're facing today. But I'm doing a new one. And when I have my new one out, I would love to come back on and talk about it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'll, we'll text back and forth, and you can get the address and send me. Because sometimes they even send me the galleys before the book is out, so I get a, a heads up. And uh, Right. It, I love doing that stuff. I love doing that stuff. Listen, um, we were talking earlier about uh, lamestream media, as I call it. And uh, this one college freshman and some news agency is going to have to pick this kid up, went after Brian Selter uh, from CNN. And I just loved it because he went line by line on all the fake news uh, since 2016, starting with the Russian hoax, the fake rape charges against Kavanaugh, uh, the hate crime hoax by Jesse Smollett, the Nick Sandman fiasco, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop. And Stetzer didn't even know how to answer this kid. How do you answer the fact that you've been telling lies to the American public claiming to be the news? I know you're exactly right. I mean, how can he answer that? All he can say is, uh, you got me. I know that he said, well, let's go have lunch. <laughs> Time for lunch. But uh, he, he was caught. I mean, he was caught red handed. I mean, these people are they're, they're frauds, Annie. I mean, it's just it, it's so horrible. I think back to the 80s when CNN was just starting out and they had Crossfire. They had some good programs. They were the fresh air because they were the first cable news network. And then to think how far in the sewer they've gone, I mean, how, how horrible they are now, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it's a network that I, I never watch. No, I, I don't blame you. And I agree, back in the, the 80s, the early 80s when they started, you know, it, they were great to watch. But then again, yeah. news was news. Instead, you know, I don't even pretend to be a news journalist or anything. Um, what I do is opinion. Uh, I will introduce people and their backgrounds, but I am an opinion person. I don't pretend right. to be. They pretend to be news, but all they do is give opinions and then call out those of us on the right as giving out misinformation. I like the way they retitled that. You know, in other words, you're saying that we're lying, right? You're exactly right. I mean, they accuse us of uh, doing what they're doing. And, you know, what they're doing is really uh, censorship. They don't allow conservatives on there. They, I mean, their bias toward President Trump was off the charts. I mean, there was a hatred toward Trump supporters, President Trump. And, I mean, it really shaded everything that they did. And, I mean, it's amazing to think that this was the first uh, cable news network and that they have 
you know, a decent history because what they've come now, I mean, they're a joke. They're a laughing stock. Uh, MSNBC is the same way, Annie. I mean, they are, they're just as bad. If not, you know, some of the hosts are worse. Joy Reid is, <laughs> I mean, she is just oh, oh, so, oh, hateful. Oh, oh. so hateful. Uh, yeah, uh, but let me see. Oh, I had this here. Um, I had this thing on Joy Reid because she has something new that just came out, and it was so disgusting. And now I, I'm probably in the bottom of the pile. Oh, jeez. I don't even know what I did with it. It was so nasty. Calling us every single name in the book, like we're Nazis, we're everything else. Right. And... Uh, and it's, what a good fit, because Jen Psaki is now going to go to MSNBC. What a perfect fit for a, for a and liar. And we were talking about that, too. Yeah, we were talking about that, too. Now, you have news background, right? Now, isn't that yes. unethical, the fact that she is a White House spokesperson? She already has a job lined up before she leaves. But she's not saying when she leaves, but she's got the job lined up with MSNBC. Uh, that's that's. We were saying she's giving them what inside information in order to get that job. What's going on here? I, you're exactly right. I mean, she's negotiating with MSNBC while she's still on the public payroll, working as the uh, White House press secretary. So I think that is unethical, doing it on the public's dime. So uh, she's uh, right now, I guess. Uh, soon to be gone. Uh, I mean, once you make a commitment to go to a network, you should leave immediately. But uh, she's still there. They don't have anybody really to replace her who's any good. The ones who fill in for her are, are terrible. But just like every other position in the administration, Annie, there's nobody within this administration who's any good. I mean, nobody who's not a far-left, crazed progressive. So they've got no shining stars in this administration at all. Yeah, no, it's not. You, you, they all need those uh, prison jumpsuits right now. And perfect example <laughs> is creepy Uncle Joe, as I call him, the, our president, uh, and his son Hunter. Now, it's coming out now that uh, the laptop is true, and some of the conversations that were on there and leaked emails that Hunter asked in 27 was asked um I asked I'm sorry let me get this straight Hunter asked his dad Joe Biden who was vice president at the time in 2017 to write a college recommendation for the son of a Chinese executive who did business with Hunter and these uh emails were uh obtained by Fox News and it's between Hunter Biden his business partners at the private equity firm Rose Mont, uh, Seneca, and Jonathan Lee, who is the CEO of Chinese investment firm BHR, which it turns out Hunter had a 10% interest in BHR, uh, to write this letter for Jonathan's son, Chris Lee, which then Biden dad to write, but he also got his associates, Devin Archer and Jim Bolger, to write letters too. Uh, and they went out to Brown University, Cornell University, and New York University. Now, what do you think a university is going to do if a letter comes from the vice president of the United States to recommend this student for your college? Um, I, they're going to admit here? that person. <laughs> they're going to admit that person because they want to be in the good graces of the uh, former vice president. 
And uh, I found it interesting that this um, uh, Chinese official and the, the son of this Chinese official, the child, was applying to the most prestigious universities in the country. And uh, I think the letter from Joe Biden didn't go to, like, some admissions official. It went right to the president of the university. So they didn't even right. bother with anybody in admissions. They went right to the top. And I would assume that uh, the child got in because you're certainly not going to tell Joe Biden no. And that just shows you how involved he was. I mean, if he's writing letters uh, for, you know, Hunter's business associate's child to go to college, what else was he doing, uh, Annie, I wonder? Oh, yeah. Uh, let's say, can we say Burisma? <laughs> can we? Yeah. Uh, say 10% for the big guy? Uh, we have the most. Well, remember corrupt. he went to Ukraine and he shut down that prosecution of Burisma and Hunter, and he made sure that they were going to stop that or they were going to take away their one billion dollar loan guarantee. So he uh, did that to protect Hunter. I mean, he's been protecting Hunter for years, and I guess Hunter's been returning the favor by bringing in you know the big money. You know, there is just one thing I wish. That the next time they flash a picture of Hunter Biden, he's not naked. Please. I'm tired of seeing this man's body. And it's not pretty, guys. It is. And from a woman's perspective, I mean, no wonder why he had to hire hookers. <laughs> Put it that way. I mean, oh, just man. imagine how much abuse he's been through, you know? I mean, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a crack um, fiend, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's totally addicted i mean every time i saw him on those uh images he was um you know smoking a crack pipe <laughs> well talking about smoking crack pipes do you think camilla harris is is doing that right now because right now everything that uh president biden has given her every task he has signed her she has failed at she has not completed a single thing as vice president Outside of having gaff after gaff after gaff with her salad of comments and whatever, she her word salads are just like right now she's got me stuttering and stumbling right now because I'm so angry with this woman. But she can't keep staff, she can't perform a job, and she's one heartbeat away from the presidency. Isn't this a little scary? And no one's talking about her. Well, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's scary that Biden is there. It's scary that she's there. It's scary that the third in line is Nancy Pelosi. I mean, the whole thing is scary. I mean, Kamala Harris is is just. I mean, she's a laughing stock. I mean, she's she's uh, can't even uh, do anything. I mean, can't even introduce someone without making a misstatement. Uh, so, Joe's mentally incompetent. Uh, Kamala is just plain incompetent. And then, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is uh, so, and I mean, I don't wish her ill. I know she's got COVID now, but I mean, she's someone who I've really think has been a very divisive partisan speaker of the house. And the way she treated Donald Trump was just despicable. So I've never liked her, Annie. And uh, to think that those are our three leaders in the country is just, atrocious i mean how did we get here (laughs) a few years ago we had good leadership and now this is where we are it's really really sad well i'm gonna say it cheating 
That's the only other way they could do it. Cheating. So, right. But well, we know it, Annie. We know it. But they got they got away with it. They got away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And fortunately, a lot of states, you know, our red states are passing election reforms, and it's sticking. So let's just hope that this midterm election, we don't blow it. But there is still a very good chance that we're going to blow it because what are the Democrats going to do? Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Uh, they're going to turn around and say, well, we're going to talk immigration reform. You're so concerned about the border. Let's get a bipartisan compromise between the two sides. And then they're going to push it all down the road. They're going to roll it down the road and roll it down the road until the election is over. And what's going to happen? Nothing's done, and Republicans will not regain the House and the Senate. That's what I'm afraid of. Well, that's a nightmare, Annie. I hope that doesn't come true. What I'm hoping is that the American people are so outraged from this disaster known as the Biden administration that they are going to just come out in big numbers, throw the Democrats out, put in Republicans, and then it's going to be up to the Republicans to actually finally do something and to really follow through on their campaign promises for once, be aggressive, take on all these challenges, take on the Democrats and the media, the deep state, and, and get something done. So we'll see. I mean, I'm not that optimistic about Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. I think they're both rhinos. I don't really like either one of them. They're better Mm -hmm. than Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. I guess I can say that. (laughs) Well, Mitch McConnell has absolutely no plan whatsoever in place. And that's very frightening. You should have some sort of a plan going into this election cycle, show some form of leadership, but he can't even do that. And I watched him through the um, interviews with Judge Jackson, and I'm thinking, can a senator be any weaker than him? Oh, yeah, then again, we had Kamala Harris. Well, you're right. I mean, he is he's weak. He's weak. Extremely weak. He, he, he doesn't exude any kind of uh, leadership or confidence. Uh, he's not a good communicator. I mean, he's been there forever. So, I mean, he's supposed to child for term limits. Annie, we got to get rid of these people after two terms. I mean, he's been there forever, and that's one of the problems. These people are there forever, and they're old. Yeah, well, we were discussing that with Joe Pinion about uh, Chuck Schumer. And I, there's a Yiddish term that I'm not going to use on air, but a lot of my friends know what word I'm talking about that rhymes with Chuck. <laughs> I call <Right>. him. <laughs> but but there is hope because you do have people like Andrew Giuliani running to be governor of New York. So hopefully we'll have uh, – what, what do we have now? Um, we have 27 – Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, we have – 27 Republican governors, I believe, at this point. Uh, make it maybe 28 with Andrew. Uh, get someone like Joe Pinion to knock Chuck Schumer out. And who just jumped into uh, the race is uh, Sarah Palin, uh, the Tea Party queen, I call her. And I still run my Tea Party <laughs> ever since 2009. Good for you, Annie. Good for you. And yes. I'm proud of you because I did a big Tea Party group in uh, in Louisiana and we had a lot of success for a while, but you know what our problem was? We got infiltrated by rhinos and establishment Republicans, and, you know, they really, really hurt what we were trying to do. So the Tea Party, unfortunately, in a lot of areas, unlike you, but they sort of fizzled out. But 
I think Sarah Palin was the biggest attraction for the Tea Party and was the one that helped the Tea Party the most. I mean, I really think she's great. I'm a big fan of Sarah Palin, and I hope she wins that, Annie. Yes, uh, she's uh, – got a cat trying to jump up my lap, believe it or not. Um, she's running uh, for, for a senator, isn't she? She's running for oh, no, Congress, uh, Congress, Congress, Congress in Alaska, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. There was so a uh, man who had been there for 47 years <laughs> and had passed away, and she's running to replace him. Well, we got to do something because uh, if we don't, we may lose this nation. So we have to keep working on it. But we have a huge race here in South Carolina. Uh, we're trying to get Nancy, uh, Nancy. No, I'm going to say it again instead of Nancy. Nancy Mace uh, to unseat her because we thought she would be far better than Joe Cunningham. She is slightly, but not that much. Uh, right now, Katie Arrington has been endorsed just a couple of weeks ago by uh, Donald Trump. Um, she will be at my Tea Party meeting uh, on the 18th. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're working hard here in South Carolina uh, to bring good, co- solid conservatives back into the play. Let me ask you this, Annie. What in the world is it about South Carolina where you keep electing Lindsey Graham? Oh! I, mean, <laughs> I, I can't stand that guy. How does he keep getting reelected? Lamesy Gramnesty. Well, what we have here, unfortunately, are open primaries. So he can get the crossover vote and come out on the top of the primary every single time. And I literally stood there nose to nose and toe to toe. And if you've ever seen Lindsey Graham, he's not a tall man. I'm only five foot three. So when I say I'm there nose to nose, toe to toe, we were. And I got him to back down on two issues, but not the last. And the last one was he was going into a primary, and I believe there were 17 people running against him and because it was such a large field when they mailed out the military ballots they didn't allow the 45 days federal law requires for a federal election and he we only had 14 days and i tried to get him to back down on that because he's supposed to be an advocate for the military since he's a judge advocate in the military he would not do that and his explanation to me was the military is going to get a different ballot they're going to get a choice of one, two, and three. I says, well, if the field is 17 people, what happens if one, two, and three don't make it? They're not the ones that come out on top in the primary. Their vote is lost then. Who do they vote for? No one. He would not back down on that. So Lindsey Gramnesty and I have a little history, and I became persona non grata in his office. <laughs> and I'm proud of that. Well, I'd wear that as a badge of honor there, Annie, because... He's a disgrace. I'm I'm not a fan of him at all. I just think he is a rhino, and I think South Carolina deserves better. And uh, you know, I, and and Nancy Mace is the same way. And and I wasn't a big fan of Mark Sanford. I don't know what the hell happened to him. And they've turned a lot of know. them turned into never Trumpers, and I don't know why. Well, the funny thing is, is Mark Sanford went to my church. Uh, I mean, I was up there at his final Christmas party when he was governor, uh, and I think that little hike in the woods uh, really did a number on him, uh, because once, I mean, when he was running for Congress after he became governor, uh, I was invited, uh, Amy Kramer from Tea Party uh, uh, Coalition um, invited me to 
introduced him up in Greenville, Spartanburg area. And I drove up and no makeup on, blue jeans, but I was just supposed to bring a bunch of people. She ended up having me introduce him. And at that point, he was a pretty solid conservative back then. I mean, do you remember the stunt where he walked into the state house carrying two bigs, telling them to cut the pork? It was I loved it. Yeah. But right. Yes. Something changed. Yes. Something changed. Uh, and I know. He and I, I had, had several debates uh, when he was uh, voting for um, the Speaker of the House at one time. He and I are texting back and forth, and I'm fighting with him. He goes, you don't understand. This is done behind closed doors six weeks ago. No matter what you say, it's not going to matter. And that really bothered me. Now, that is what we have to stop and get rid of. Bingo. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's unacceptable. I mean, that's insider deals. That's politics as usual. That's the problem. These guys make all their deals in in the old uh, proverbial smoke-filled room, right? And what about the people? What about us? I mean, I thought they were representing us. Well, that's what we need, to elect people that are going to listen to us and respect our opinion and represent us. And uh, we're fighting right now here in South Carolina in District 1. Um, Tom Cotton has a good challenger. Not Tom Cotton, or is it Tom Rice? I forget now. It's just north of Charleston. Um, Tom Cotton is the senator from Arkansas, so must be uh, Tom Tom Rice. Rice. Tom Rice, Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a good challenger there. So we're trying to get rid of the rhinos here. We'll, we'll see. If we can do it here, we can do it in just about any state. Uh, but another thing we have to do is help preserve conservative voices like yours, like Newsmax, like OAN. Because right now, Newsmax is being censured. One provider after another is starting to pull them. That's another campaign that's really large here in South Carolina. Uh, they've been reaching out to all groups. They included, I went on a Zoom call with uh, Newsmax headquarters the other day. And so we're having a fight now to get them back on air on the carriers that dropped them. And we've got to make sure shows like yours are seen and heard everywhere. Well, and you know what the problem is? That they don't want us to be heard. I mean, they don't want uh, our voices. Uh, they They want to have a monopoly. And uh, they, they're scared of the truth. I mean, they're, they're scared of our uh, content, and they can't debate us. They know that we're right on the issues, so they just want to censor us. They want to make sure that uh, we're not out there to present an alternative to the American people. And that's a scary situation. I mean, we've got the First Amendment here, Annie, and they're trampling over the First Amendment. They're trampling over the freedom of the press. So we've got to keep fighting them. Oh, that we do. And it has to be one person at a time. As a matter of fact, uh, I sent out a flyer to all of my Tea Party members. I sent it as a request for a re- resolution for my county GOP, uh, which I'm on the resolution board, which gives a little extra push. I even sent it up to the state chair, Drew McKissick. So trying to get groups statewide united in a single message saying, stop the censorship, stop the cancel culture. Did we lose Jeff? I, Curtis, you there? Yeah, no, I'm here. Curtis? Uh, oh, I think Jeff. I lost my co-host. <laughs> I oh. think I lost my oh. co-host. <laughs> but uh, 
no, I'm trying to do something at the same time, and I'm messing everything else up. But uh, I was waiting for my guest from Heritage to call in. Uh, so hopefully my co-host will send me a text so I can give him the phone number to call because it looks like the Heritage guest is a little late. So, Curtis, like I said, I think I lost my co-host. He fell asleep. No, I'm still here. Oh, well. All I'm right. Still here. Curtis, I'm going to be... I'm going to be sending you a text with uh, Thomas's phone number, okay? And right. if I can get over to that. All right. I'll but anyway, Jeff, uh, you have the podcast. You've got the TV uh, show. You also have a blog that people can uh, go to your website and, uh, and look at. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks, Annie. Uh, so I've got two websites. Uh, the blog site is uh, ringsidepolitics.com, which is the name of my program, and i uh, love for people to check out some of my recent blogs. And then uh, my other site, crewair.net, my last name.net, which is all about my various uh, videos and shows. And, uh, yeah, it would be great if people would subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, get a copy of my book, America's Last Chance. I have a uh, link on there where people can buy it. And as I said, I'm working on working on the sequel, and uh, we're still in the same dire situation we were when I wrote the book. I mean, I think it's even worse now because I don't think anybody could imagine how bad Joe Biden would be. I mean, I think he's worse than anybody thought he would be. He's he's just I think he's the worst. Donald Trump said the other day you could put the five worst presidents together, and Joe Biden's worse than all of them. You know, it, it, we are a laughing stock in the eyes of the world, and we have a situation going on in Ukraine, and it's one of the biggest limp wrist responses we ever had to an ally. Um, we have China now rattling its saber over in the uh, South Pacific, building islands for their bases and getting ready to hopscotch, of course, the Asian uh, coastline, and we're doing nothing. We've got we're entering into another Iran deal that is just as bad as the original one under President Obama. And he's going in there and just saying, shaking hands, I'm going to trust you. Really? A country that wants to see the great Satan destroyed America. And we can go on and on and on the list that uh, Biden has failed in every way. Let's not even talk about the southern border. Or the illegal immigrants coming across with all these diseases, but yet we have to be masked and we have to be vaxxed, and it doesn't matter. We can go on and on and on. I know. And these mandates, Annie, these mandates are unconstitutional. They're illegal. Uh, He's pushing them. I mean, they they just unfortunately got a victory in court, which upheld uh, the vaccine mandate for government employees. And uh, it's just one battle after another to try to take on these people. I mean, they don't believe in freedom. They believe in government. Uh, They want to take away our rights. It's it's really, it's a very scary situation uh, that we're facing. And you're right, the border is worse than it's ever been. And it's going to get worse starting in May when they drop Title 42. There's going to be an avalanche of uh, illegals coming in at that time. It's going to be literally out of control. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for being on the show, and i got to get you on a little bit more often, and I apologize for not doing that. That's my bad. But uh, you are going to have me do a segment with you on your show uh, upcoming soon, right? Yes, we're going to be doing it next week, and I'll be in touch. And uh, as always, Annie, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care, and God bless. 
All right, check out right. Jeff Cruer, his last name. name. C-R-O-U-E-R-E dot net, jeffcruer.net. I want to welcome from the Heritage Foundation, uh, he is the Senior Legal Fellow at the Edmund Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. I said that all in one breath. Good afternoon to Tom Jipping. Uh, Good afternoon, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure, our pleasure. Um, yesterday, surprise, 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 Judge Jackson was confirmed. Now, should we have expected anything different from that outcome? Not not from the final outcome. Uh, the three Republicans who voted for her, you know, two of them, Senator Susan Collins of Maine and Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, they voted for her for her, her, the last year for her current position on the U.S. Court of Appeals. So I don't think that that was unusual. Like what we... I know when we looked at Judge Jackson's record and communicated our views to the Senate, we we tried to emphasize that, you know, a Supreme Court justice position is very different from a court of appeals judge. But that wasn't so surprising. What what surprised me was Mitt Romney. He voted against her for the lower court. And now that she was nominated to the Supreme Court where she won't have any of the limitations or the constraints that lower court judges do, now he votes for her. So, but the final outcome that she would be confirmed, uh, I don't think was ever in doubt. Well, you know, she said that she did not have a judicial philosophy. Is that really true? Well, that's what she said last year. And she was able to kind of hide behind the fact that as a lower court judge, she has to follow the precedents of higher courts. So uh, to, to talk about what the judicial, and, and let, me, let me say what I think judicial philosophy means. It, it, it's kind of a clunky label, but it basically means what do you understand your job to be and how do you plan to do it? So it's got two parts. And so a judicial philosophy is what do you understand the judicial branch of government, what, what are they supposed to do? You know, what's their role in, in our system of government? And then the, the second part is, I think, what she talked a lot about, which was methodology. How are you going to approach the cases as they come before you? Uh, and so she could hide, kind of hide behind that last year. She couldn't hide behind it this year. And she talked a lot about what would fall into that category of judicial philosophy. The problem was, uh, in doing that, and she obviously was coached and scripted uh, to the nth degree, she sounded an awful lot like, you know, Neil Gorsuch did five years ago. She did not sound like uh, a liberal nominee that the, these far-left groups so strongly supported. So, you know, I, I think she's going to turn out to be a different justice with a different approach than what she described during her hearing. Oh, you know that. There's going to be a huge flip-flop. And when you broke down, which people can find at heritage.org, you broke down uh, her record on child pornography sentences. And when I heard Ted Cruz go after her with that, I said, all right, let's see. Let's watch the fireworks start to happen. And you would have thought that would have dissuaded those three Republicans from, from voting for her the way she has been so, so lenient on child pornography. For some reason, it's as if they think there's no victim in this crime. 
Well, that that's, you know, uh, disturbingly, that's Judge Jackson's apparent view. Um, you know, the sometimes people will look at one decision or one case here or there, and, you know, as a lower court judge, she's had hundreds of them, right? So some people will look at just one or two and say, well, that means that she's terrible. That's not the case here. When it comes to child pornography crimes, and there's three child pornography crimes, production, possession, and distribution. And she had cases as a U.S. district judge in all three categories. The question isn't whether one or two decisions are, seem kind of out of whack. In her case, 100% of her sentencing decisions in child pornography cases were not only way below the average for federal judges across the country, they were way below what the U.S. sentencing guidelines recommended and what prosecutors asked for in every single case. So not just one or two, it's a pattern that is absolutely consistent, and that's what ought to you know, raise real red flags. Why is it that in every single child pornography case, in every category, uh, she, she, you know, kind of dives to the, to the bottom, to the lower end? Uh, what, I think one thing that Senator Cruz also pointed out, it, it goes way beyond child pornography cases. If you look at all of her criminal sentencing, there were over 100 of the cases she dealt with as a U.S. district judge that required her to sentence criminal defendants. Uh, she was about 40% below the national average across the board. So that's the kind of thing that ought to, that raises flags because it suggests that she's picking her sentences really not on objective grounds, but more on personal grounds that that's how she wants those cases to come out. And that's exactly the wrong kind of judge to put on the Supreme Court. You know, what really gets me is that... It, I think the logic was, well, this is just a video. They don't have the actual child, so they're not molesting the child. But wait a minute. In order to make that video, in order to make that pornography, a child has to be abused. So there is a victim. And every time that, is, that film is viewed, no matter where it is within that world, that child once again is being victimized over and over and over again. You know, you, and when it shows up are. years later and now you're an adult, how do you face – so you're going to have you know, people committing suicide, uh, alcohol, drug abuse because of this, yep. and later on, the abused child ends up abusing someone else. So it's, it's an ongoing thing. Right. You, you are absolutely right. This, and I, I worked in the Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee for 15 years and worked on a couple of child pornography bills. Which, which helped me to understand this, these crimes better. And, you know, every single time, uh, and, and the Internet makes it 100 times worse, for the rest of their lives, the, the sexual exploitation and the devastation that this uh, in, wreaks on a child's life, that's going to follow her for the rest or him. Uh, we, we had a, a, a significant case out of Utah that involved a male victim, it's going to follow them for the rest of their lives. It's different than other crimes. And this is why Judge Jackson's blind spot about this, her failure to understand what's unique and uniquely devastating about this crime was so disturbing. 
It is. And we've had victims uh, on the show before. Many of them have gone on to help fellow victims and help rescue them. And they don't understand the seriousness and how it's not just the child, but it's the child's family. It's the child's environment. It's, it's something that they have to live where even if they are able to later on to have a successful relationship, it affects that relationship. It affects how, whether or not they will be able to or want to have children. And it's, it's not just a, a victimless crime. It's, it gets me angry. It really, really does get me angry. And you, know, you, you mentioned something just a minute ago that was really important. The, certainly the production crime, that's what, that's what involves the actual abuse of the child. But when you have possession, which is demand, and distribution, which is supply, both of those, especially with the Internet, that's what keeps the trafficking of these images going constantly. And, and you have, you know, untold numbers of consumers and suppliers out there who are feeding this market for this, for records of abuse. It's a, it's a much more serious matter than, let's say, 20, 30 years ago when, you know, trafficking in child pornography was much more difficult because you didn't have the Internet. It is today. That magnifies. It doesn't shrink. It magnifies how serious this is. And Judge Jackson just doesn't get it. Yeah. Now, um, something else you also wrote about on the um, Heritage.org was about the Women's Health Protection Act, S. 1975. And it sounds, it sounds so wonderful. It sounds so glorious. But what's the truth behind this, Bill? Of course, who could be against? I mean, it's a it's a little bit of a game in Congress to choose uh, titles for very controversial bills uh, that sound pretty innocuous. Who could be against protecting women's health, right? Well, the Women's Health Protection Act is a bill that's introduced, looking forward to the possibility that the Supreme Court will overrule Roe versus Wade the decision in the Supreme Court creating a right to abortion, this bill uh, would attempt to, uh, to do for women what Roe versus Wade had done, and that is protect uh, unlimited access to abortion. Unfortunately, though, it does it in a way that's absolutely unconstitutional. This bill would actually try to tell state and local governments what they may do to protect the unborn. It's one thing for Congress to pass a law directly regulating abortion. That has constitutional problems, too. But this is a bill where Congress is trying to regulate state and local legislatures. I mean, I've never heard of such a thing before. This is how rabidly pro-abortion these activists are, and and particularly the Democratic Party has become, uh, that they would go to such extremes way beyond what Roe versus Wade did to try to uh, keep abortions happening. In fact, that bill was so extreme that uh, the the two primary pro-choice senators, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who we mentioned earlier, they both voted to filibuster. That's how extreme it is. And uh, I I think we've got to um, decide which principles are most important. Uh, it's not just what you want government to do. It's how government does it. 
government's supposed to follow the Constitution, not ignore it. Well, you, you've got states like, uh, I believe now Alabama was the latest to uh, to put into act, to enact into law, uh, to protect the ch- the unborn child, the preborn child. Uh, we right. have something pending here in South Carolina. So, in effect, this would then make these laws that the states are passing, which are constitutional, because the states uh, have that right. It's not one of the enumerated 13 powers in the Constitution. This would override it. And then all of a sudden, well, that's what they, the state has no power. That's what, that's what Democrats want. Um, you know, the way our system, and it, it's clear you understand how, this is, how our system was designed to work. The states have a lot of powers. A few powers are delegated to the federal government. Uh, and the Supreme Court was wrong when they interpreted the Constitution to create a right to abortion. For 150 years, state legislatures uh, were able to decide whether abortion should be legal or illegal. The Constitution doesn't step in and say otherwise. So I hope that the Supreme Court will correct that error, get rid of Roe versus Wade, and give the states permission to make those decisions again. That, that is how the system is supposed to work. Congress doesn't have that authority. The states do. Folks in South Carolina can do it the way they want. Folks in New York and California will obviously do it a different way. That's not good enough. That system that has given us so many blessings, that's not good enough. Not for the people who have just totally committed themselves to the abortion agenda. They, they want to get rid of all of those rules. They want the big, powerful federal government to tell the states what they may and may not do. Well, got news for them. Uh, unless the Constitution says so, the states can do what they want and respond to their own constituents. And I hope... Uh, in states like South Carolina, I hope they do. Well, you know, I, I caught a, a news, small little news blip, and I haven't seen lamestream media pick this up at all. But a group of black activists have decided to actually file a class action suit against Planned Parenthood for genocide. And I've always asked, why hasn't this been done before? Why did it take so long? Well, uh, I I think there's a couple of reasons. One is the pro-abortion, well, first of all, Planned Parenthood has been around for a long time, and they have very successfully spun their image to be like we were talking a minute ago about women's health. Uh, Planned Parenthood, that sounds, you know, pretty positive, and they've been very successful at hiding uh, what they really are doing and, and why they're doing it what their origins and their history are. And then I think they, they latch on to the broader pro-abortion agenda where the spin is that this is all about choice. If you're against this choice of abortion because it kills babies, then you must be against all choice. Now, that obviously doesn't make any sense, but they've been successful in doing that, so they've created this very powerful public image but it can't hide the facts. The facts are Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest abortion provider, and while the number of abortions nationally is going down, the number of abortions that Planned Parenthood performs is going up, and its history is one of targeting 
certain segments of our society uh, to really push abortion, and the black community is one of them. So I'm glad that's happening, and I hope it exposes uh, just how extreme um, Planned Parenthood has always been. You know, I, I think back to uh, when I became a police officer in New York City back in the 80s, there was a, a rash of bombings at these clinics, the Planned Parenthood clinics. So they would have us stand out there uh, to prevent anything from happening. But every single neighborhood that these were placed in were the poorest of there, with the, the greatest number of minorities in there, mostly black and then Hispanic. And I always wondered, why isn't this out somewhere else, uh, say in suburbia, but you would always find it in the poorest neighborhoods? And as you said, Planned Parenthood sounds so wonderful, but it was obvious back then they were targeting a specific segment of our society that they felt, quote, as Margaret Sanger said, was inferior. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, a couple of reasons. That's one of, that's the ugliest one, that the history of the abortion movement, you know, the, the, in the 19th century, all of the feminist leaders, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stans and all the, all the, the pioneers for women's rights opposed abortion. They said it was child murder and that it was a, a horrible crime against nature. They separated women's rights from killing children. Today, it's all been combined. And Planned Parenthood is, the, is at the center of all of that. And, uh, you know, we, we give the, the federal government gives hundreds of millions of your tax dollars to this organization that is dedicated, first and foremost, to killing children. And they do it, as you've said, uh, by targeting certain segments of our population, certain socioeconomic classes. And it is an insidious, ugly uh, history that they have. And uh, we ought to, the government ought to get out of the abortion business completely. Uh, absolutely. But unfortunately, we keep on voting for politicians to keep it going. Uh, but now we have to get the politicians in there to help defund it. Worst part is, is that we're funding these abortions and then the Planned Parenthood is making additional money by selling those baby parts, which is absolutely horrific. They make uh, Kermit Gosnell look like an angel. There's no other way to explain it. Yep. I, I, he was just the tip of the iceberg. There was no way that he was, you know, operating in isolation. Uh, you know, he, he was the first one of this to kind of come to public attention. But this is what Planned Parenthood does. This is what they're all about. Um, you know, the, they, they put their annual reports online. All you have to do is go look at the numbers in those reports, and that'll show you what Planned Parenthood's priorities are, and it's killing children. Uh, and, you know, like we were saying a minute ago, if the people in South Carolina or the people in another state uh, don't think that's right, they shouldn't be forced to support it. And we've got to, exactly. I think we have to take that on more forcefully. Exactly, exactly. Well, Thomas, it has been a pleasure. People can find you over at uh, heritage.org. Uh, your last name, J-I-P-P-I-N-G. Uh, so they can just yep. put it in the search bar, pull up your articles. And you've got a great one showing on um, the statistics dealing with 
the appointments, the judicial appointments going back to the birth of this nation to our current presidents and how the scales have tipped oddly, starting with Trump and now with Obama. People are voting yep. pro, people are voting uh, con. It's a long article, but it's worth wading through. So you do great work, and, they, and I want to wish you they also can follow me on Twitter at Tom Jipping, T-O-M-J-I-P-P-I-N-G. I appreciate you mentioning that. No problem. Be happy to. We'll welcome you back uh, anytime in the future. Just tell your other compatriot, Tom, over there, say, get me back on that girl's show. <laughs> I will do that. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Have a blessed Easter. You All right. Take care. Uh, all that we have for today, Curtis, and uh, – we will be back in two weeks because next week two is weeks. Holy Week. It is, it is Good Friday, and traditionally I put up a pre-recorded show on Good Friday uh, because I'm going to be taking Mom to church, and I'll be going to my church. Uh, so it's a day that we remember um, our Savior and uh, the sacrifices he gave for us and for our salvation. And, uh, Curtis, my love to your family, and uh, I hope you have a blessed Easter week, too. Hey, I appreciate that. And uh, once again, thanks for that, that dedication to Mia. Oh, it was my honor. My honor. All right. I All leave right. everyone with this, with my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. And if I can get the cat off my lap, I can hit this and <laughs> hit that.